Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanner Grayson, always joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, uh, you look like you're in a really good mood today. You, you doing all right? I'm I'm well rested and recovered after what was a very long Saturday, Tanner. Okay. Uh, if, the... if we had tried to like record a podcast on Sunday, which we basically never do, but you know, theoretically, that would not have happened. Yeah, this was the uh, the friends barbecue friends thing. Yeah. That you were talking about in the last episode. It was it was a long day, and then Sunday we spent doing nothing, and then Monday we finally cleaned up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we just left a sink of dishes for a day. Yeah, like that's we, needed somebody like me around. I'll, I'll yeah. get up and I'll look at it, and I'll just get aggravated and take care of it, you know? Yeah, it, it wasn't nearly as bad. It only took us about an hour to, to get through. Yeah, uh, yeah. And we, we picked up most of the outside that day when we moved things inside, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I... I woke up on Sunday and was just like, I'm, my, my joints are sore. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you this, Ross, but we're getting old. Yeah. If and you're I, unaware. So, uh, yeah, it t- took a, you know, about a day and a half to, to fully recover. And now we're, you know, we're recording this on a Tuesday. So mm-hmm. e- even further out. And the good news is, you know, so we, we told people, you know, just so we'd be on the safe side to, to bring extra beer, right? Figuring that, like, that, you know, people would bring, like, a six-pack or, you know, a 12 or something like that. And some people just brought, like, cases. Several of them. And so we ended up, we, and... We're stocked for the next one now. <laughs> uh, we're stocked for this week. <laughs> I don't know. There's, like, there's like 30 or 40 beers of assorted types just sitting around the fridge now. I don't now. think I've drank 30 beers in the last, like, five years. But I also just gave up beer, so that's, like, yeah. not a... That's not a you know, when I was a younger man, I, w- I would have gone through a few. I, I, I'm still. We still have the keg around. I think there's a good amount still left in that. It, it's it's always kind of awkward. Like we had a bunch of coolers outside, right? Because that that's where everything started, and so nobody really is going to go inside to get beer when there's beer in the coolers. Uh, and so the the keg didn't get touched that much, and now it's too warm to pump, and so I've got to like. If I want to drink the beer that I have paid for in that keg, I need to like go out and get ice, re-chill it, <laughs> and I don't know. Like, I assume there's no real time limit for me returning those things. Like, I paid a deposit for the tub and the tap, so if they just get it back, they will give me the deposit back. Um, I don't yeah, think I don't, there's you know, you yeah. know, it's not like a get it back in a week kind of thing. So yeah, I got to figure out what I want right? to do with that. Um, but overall, everything was great. It was. Uh, but, uh, you know, anytime you do something like that, it's just a, when you're hosting and, you know, I, I was grilling and, uh, you know, the two days you, before was doing prep work to make a bunch of food. Do you do you also cook the non-vegetarian food? I did this time. OK. Do you not have I'm, a you don't have an aversion to that? No. OK. Um, no. <clears throat> so so, uh, some people can be like very strict on the amount. Yeah. That they, they can even be around it. So. I actually l- like the idea of me doing it because I know I'll be more careful about cross contamination than other people will. That makes sense to me. Okay, you sure. Um, so I, I sometimes I've like let you know Todd man the grill so I can have you know more He's time. A but cook. Yeah. In this ca- in this case, because we were doing a lot of the cooking early, I just took care of it and, and mm-hmm. got everything set up. You know, just makes sense. We, we ended up having a, a, probably about four or five fewer people total than I expected. So had a, a little bit of extra food, uh, but not a ton. Like all, uh, I so, like leftovers. And yeah, oh, and I've been just you know making leftover surprise meals over the last two days with stuff I had I had left. I had a bunch of spinach left. Yeah. I made a salad last night. I made uh, like an egg scramble this morning with some Beyond Meat sausage. Like I had one Ooh. tomato left. 
Oof, uh, some sauteed good. spinach with garlic, and then I have uh, I had Calabrian chilies in the fridge, so I added that for a little spice. That was our breakfast this morning. Yeah, whenever I lived in Vegas, uh, you know, when I lived at the uh, the Frolix uh, mansion yeah. or whatever, you know, there's a couple of days where we'd have, you know, soirees every now and then, right? You know, people would come over, we'd like cook, do whatever, or like we'd have friends giving at our place or whatever, because uh, <clears throat> Athena liked to, liked to cook and stuff. So, um, and Eric's just like not a leftover guy. He just like doesn't eat leftovers. And I'd just be like, are they just going to like go to waste? And he's like, yeah, and I'm like, okay i will eat all of it <laughs> he's like what well, i'm like i do three or four meals a day and i just like food so like just give me all of it you know like yeah and stuff so i would just smash his leftovers half the time so it was great you know it kind of worked out really well yeah, but, that works out yeah uh you know busy busy couple of weeks coming up here for for me I, I was gonna say do you have anything coming up or going on i know you've got emma in town so you're busy with that so thanks for taking some time out to make the show yeah. this week um I've, i'm actually planning to play an rcq this saturday that at scg that's theirs mm-hmm. uh the other store in town blade is hosting their rcq uh in mid-august yeah they just had their uh the same thing but for fab over the weekend yeah yeah uh actually uh, chris uh mccurry played that last weekend and, mm-hmm. and lost playing for nationals Yikes. Uh, which was rough he did that the day after uh that was sunday mm-hmm. so and he he was up till about 3 a.m. the night before and, and play, it started at noon so Solid i guess he, he, he got enough sleep um yeah, but, I, played yeah. in, I played in one over the weekend and um i like you had to top four to qualify and i played against a friend of mine in the top eight beat him and then conceded to him <laughs> yeah uh so that, that was rough for him because uh, i don't need to be, i don't need to be qualified for nationals i'm gonna be working yeah, so i finally got some some rsqs coming up and i actually I, I would plan not to go to Baltimore since it was a, since it was a team event and I didn't want to put effort into getting a team together and one just fell in my lap earlier today so I guess can I'm you, going to Baltimore now. Can you uh, the team is? I, I will be teaming with Todd Anderson and Brad Nelson. Okay, that's pretty solid uh, gamers. Our our, our the, the big issue at this point now is which one of us is forced to play Legacy? How do we get a Legacy deck? <laughs> well, uh, and which like, legacy deck is it? One of the people on your team is a self-proclaimed like good at legacy, so like maybe he should play since he always talks uh, shit. But I mean, he does play a lot of Pioneer right now, so like it is it is hard yeah, for Todd to probably be pushed. I, off I that think it's going to end up being Todd on Pioneer, and, and one of us, one of Brad or me playing legacy. Yeah, um, it's, it's just team has been or whatever. Like it, it's, no, we our team name is Ghosts of SCG Past. Sure, that's actually <laughs> way better. That's yeah. really good. Uh, so I guess I guess I'll be in Baltimore too. So I'm going to have. I think uh, three of the next four weekends, I'll have a Magic tournament. Wow, after this is like back in the day. Not playing for about three months since Indy. Yeah, this is like uh, almost like back in the SCG days, you know, just having yeah. something every weekend. Well, yeah, so, you know, two of them are one days that are within five miles of my house. So, <laughs> Sure. I was to say, I wish I could actually go to Baltimore, but uh, that's it's way too close to... I think it might even overlap with some of my trip to France. So, like, I just obviously can't. Uh, yeah. deal with that i actually booked and got everything of, of, of all that done this weekend and i'm i have some anxiety and some nervousness about it like traveling in europe is pretty difficult right now and you can't really fly to the city that we're playing in i mean like you could but it's extremely expensive to do so to get like the next flight or whatever and since we're in france or whatever i like looked into flights into paris and, and then i did some of the surrounding cities that you could take trains into because we're in lille and so I ended up, I'm flying into and out of London for this, and I'm just going to take the train over because it's like t- 
10 minutes longer of a train ride than landing in Paris or, you know, somewhere in Amsterdam or whatever. I can't remember where else Belgium. we're all It's near at. Belgium, so Belgium, you, you could yeah, have, like, yeah. flown into Brussels or Antwerp yeah, or something. That's it, Brussels. I don't know why I said the other. They're, like, all of those are options if, like, the, yeah. the flights are, like, super cheap. I mean, those are all tiny countries right next to each other. Yeah. They call, they call them the Benelux countries, Belgium, Netherlands, yeah. and Luxembourg. And one of the main reasons was because of the trip back. So, like, the trip back was, like, trying to book a flight, and when I was, like, booking out into and out of Paris, all the flights back were at, like, 10, 11 a.m., maybe noon, and I would have to take a train ride from where I'm at Sunday, so Monday morning, to Paris, and I was like, I don't know when the train starts, I don't know if there's problems with that, if there is a problem with that, I'm just going to miss my flight, because, like, if you've ever flown international in and out of Europe, you need to get there pretty early for yeah. your flights, like, like some of the, uh, there was a, there was an event in Europe this weekend, and some of the Flesh and Blood players were talking about how, like, they showed up four or five hours early and were still worried, because the lines were outside the building, like and stuff so i was just like yeah this is this is unreal so i'm a little i'm a little worried about the actual travel part of it because like the last time i traveled i got really sick i caught covid even though i had a mask on like the entire time and stuff which i, I know doesn't prevent prevent it, yeah. you know what i mean it just helps exactly so like there's a lot going on so i'm not super like looking forward to all that and all the, the extra stuff of it but i do have a travel buddy at least originally it was just going to be me traveling myself and i have no problem with that but just having a travel buddy makes it better and easier things just go faster etc oh yeah and also, he's a very large man, so if something goes wrong, he's actually, he plays in the NFL, so, like, if, uh, he's just a, a guy that loves fab, and he, he, he played, uh, for Baltimore, and I think Tennessee, if I remember correctly, he just played in the, um, what was the name of that league? They just had a league that was, it's not the XFL, it's the other one, and they, like, just played a season, and he's, like, talking to a couple of NFL teams right now about playing, because he's, uh, he's one year away from pension, and I was talking to him, I was like, you should try to play another season in the NFL and get that pension, buddy, like, look, I'm not telling who to do what with their own bodies, but if you get a contract, you should probably try to take it, yeah. you know, kind of thing. <laughs> if, if you're curious at home, just Google pension in the NFL and see how much you get a month. It's it's pretty nice once you uh, once you get to that. Got all that going on. Speaking of sports, uh, the baseball trade deadline's coming up in about nine days, eight days or something like that, and that's always really crazy. Uh, you know, you get to relate to this quite a bit with the NBA, and... There's a yeah. big rumor going around that Juan Soto will be available because they can't sign him to an. Ex- they offered him 450 million dollars, and he said no, which would have been the biggest contract in baseball history. Uh, after looking at the contract, I also would have said no if I was him because he could just do better. Um, <clears throat> he's not a free agent for two and a half years, but if they're going to get rid of him and someone gives you the offer that you want, why not try to start rebuilding now? You could be, you could possibly be good in two and a half years if a lot of these kids are good. The reason I bring this up is. I feel like I've been losing my mind with all this going on because, like, I'm sure you, you know, especially when the season's going on, you check NBA sites, like, daily or just look at some stuff or you see stuff on Twitter. And so yeah. that's been the predominant discussion in baseball for the last couple of weeks is, like, who can trade for them, what they could give up, what do you think they're going to get, et cetera, et cetera. And then you see these, like, mock trades that people are making, and I'm just like, are you an idiot? Like, do you even know how the game works? Like, like. Around this time of year, you see the trades like, hey, yeah, like who says no? We offer this, and I'm like, they would literally laugh at you and hang up. Like this is a this is a non like this would insult them into where like they wouldn't even counter. This happens like on NBA Twitter all the time too, so I know exactly what you're talking about. We're just like, I don't think you understand how any of this works. Yeah, it's like you don't understand how the money part of it works. You don't understand how like talent works because like also it's always like, yeah, we'd be willing to give up like this guy off the roster and then these minor leaguers, and it's like a guy on the roster. It's probably like their eighth or tenth or twelfth best player, and then it's like. Not even their, like, number one. It's not even their blue chip prospects. I'm like, I don't think you understand. If someone trades for this guy, it's going to be the biggest haul in the history of the game. Yeah. Like, we're thinking, like, Herschel Walker trade in the NFL. Like, I'm talking, this will be the biggest trade in the history of the game. Period. We've been doing the, basically the, this over 
you know, the last few weeks with Kevin Durant wanting yeah. to get traded. It would be the same thing in the NBA. It would be the biggest trade haul ever. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell wouldn't be far behind. So I've seen a million different proposed Donovan Mitchell trades that are just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Most like of them it. from Miami Heat fans that somehow think Tyler Hero, you know, Duncan, Duncan Robinson, you know, Nikola like Jovic, their, their first round pick and like the, the three firsts that they can offer is going to be enough. And it's like, no, no, no that's not even close. You're yeah. like halfway there. <laughs> like, I don't think we would ever make the deal. Like they always say that, like, it's not a destination that the players would probably be OK with. But like I keep saying people that like the Pelicans could actually match up like okay with this because of the money and then they could offer you know one of the young superstars and then just it would be, have, it they, would be centered around Brandon Ingram and yeah, they, be, they have plenty exactly. of picks to trade as well and a couple of young guys like that yeah. they could they could do it they could do it the problem is but, like yeah KD would want to be there Orleans. even though like if you put KD on the roster and he's healthy I, I actually think we'd be quite the contender we have a ton oh, of talent yeah. on the team if, if it yeah. was just like KD CJ and Zion like that's yeah. fucked up <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like really good. Yeah, it's Zion that's Pelican. fucked up. There's a lot of ifs there, obviously, but you know, there's a lot going on. But yeah, there's uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see that over the next couple of weeks and stuff out of uh, out of baseball. Anything else going on in your life? Uh, I was gonna say, uh, you know, we haven't we don't get to talk as much as I like in between these. Sure, um, I don't know. I've, I've just been busy with with planning that kind of stuff, and now I've got magic stuff coming up. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, you and I have actually been playing a ton of Magic lately, which is weird. Yeah, exactly. So I'm feeling busy for the first time in a while, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, I go through phases of it, and like I like one way or the other. I like being really busy or like not at all. You know, where I can just like do whatever I want and kind of set that up. So I don't know. I need to get back on the back on the grind. I got to start memorizing hundreds of flesh and blood cards now and stuff for the because the the pros are coming up is, is a mixed format, and so limited is always like. It's not like it's daunting. It's just like I have to memorize all the cards because I have to know what they do. And I don't know if you've seen like the way art works in this game, but for the different heroes or the classes, the arts have kind of a theme and like a color theme. So if the camera isn't like perfect at the time, if it's not as high resolution as it can be, and most of the time we actually see a slightly lower resolution than the, than the feed because the feed gets the highest resolution, and sometimes we get a you know a, a, a shittier raw footage or something. Sure. And so, like, certain cards will get played, and they just look the same to me, <laughs> you know, because it's like, you know, like, when you think about a magic card, when you see, you just, like, see the swath of color and the overall look, that's, like, how the card, I don't even read the card, I just see the card, and I'm like, yeah, I know what that card is, I know what it does. And so that comes up, so, like, differentiating the, like, seven different ninja cards that all look exactly the same with these shades of reds and blacks, which, like, when it's a darker color like that, it's like, oh boy, because, uh... I'm not, like, colorblind, but I do have some problems differentiating, like, certain greens, blues, and yellows when they mix. I didn't find this out until, like, six or seven years ago that I actually had this problem. I just didn't know because it never came up. Yeah. But, like, you know, we were, like, shopping for lamps or something. And she's like, hey, what do you think of that, uh, the blue lamp over there? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're all green. She's like, no, the blue one. And I thought she was messing with me. And so, like, I asked this lady. I was like, hey, what color is this lamp? And I pointed, and she was like, it's blue or whatever. The color I, you know, couldn't see. And I was like, oh. She's like, you legit think that's green? I'm like, that is green. Like, that is a green color. <laughs> so so uh, hopefully none of that. Uh, yeah. So apparently I'm like slightly colorblind, slightly deaf. Like, just great. You know, like just just enough. Everything works like 80% for you. Yeah. She's um, like, just a solid B student. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a solid B student. You know, my, my GPA in college was significantly higher in high school because in high school, like, let's be real. I, I slept through a lot. I didn't care very much. You know, I thought it was like. It's not that, like I was trying to be cool or anything. I just I just thought it was boring. And like I you know I went to private school, so we had classes that I just did not like, or we had classes where 
we obfuscated the truth or like yes. dodged around Cla- classes taught by Jesus. Yeah, we or we like yeah, or we talked about stuff that didn't actually oh, Republican Jesus. Yes, there you go and stuff. So you know, like we we we'd go from like religion class to like biology, and the biology like wouldn't talk about evolution. I'm just like, what what's going on here? <laughs> like, yeah. this, like we're talking about how fossils are like millions of years old, but this class over here talked about how the world's only like seven thousand years old. Like, come on, <laughs> like you know, or whatever. So it was just really annoying. And then I used, I mean, in college, you know, you get to kind of like. There's classes you don't want to take, but there's classes like I legit wanted to take and got like way more into it and stuff. And <clears throat> I don't know, just you know, just it, it, it felt better. I don't know, I, I liked it a lot more. But anyway, so we got some stuff to talk about this week, and let's go ahead and talk, start with like I guess the news. You know, what, yeah. what went on the last I mean, week? We talked about it at the end of last show, so might, you know, that's a, yeah. that's a nice segue. So we got some of the stuff coming out with uh, the, the new set that we're going to be having, the new standard legal set that's going to be coming up. Uh, the name of it, Ross. Oh, sorry. Oh, right Dominaria's Judgment? Yeah, Dominaria's Judgment. No, that's okay. the podcast that Dom and yes, Ari it's, do. It's uh, Dominaria United? Dominaria United. I was just about to say, yeah. yeah. So uh, I heard you say Dominaria. It's like, yeah, he's got it. So <laughs> we did get a couple of preview cards. We might talk about a few of them here today. But uh, I don't know. Have, have you actually seen any of the stuff? I, I know you said you kind of missed some of this. Uh, we like, we got see, preview cards? Yeah, there's actual preview cards. If you go to Mythic, Mythic Spoiler, you're going to have to scroll down a little bit past the sticker cards, which we're not going to talk about from Infinity. But... Uh, you, you, we got to see a couple pretty good ones. I, I want to start with: Have you seen the lands yet? Um. Oh, these mosaic lands. Sure. Yeah, yeah they're pretty I, nice. I like they're, my lands to well, look like lands. So I'm going to say one thing. Uh. Well, you know, this is my point about them. I think they're gorgeous. I think they're beautiful. It's too much for me personally to put in my deck, but like, I like them a lot. I think they're gorgeous. I think the art on them is amazing. I love how it's got the stained glass look to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I just think they keep outdoing themselves in every set. I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, they keep, you know, hey, what's, like, the the cool scheme that we could do for full art lands in this set? So that's pretty sweet. Sure. Um, a couple news things along with this set. Uh, the big one. So uh, I love how they word this. They're like, yeah, we found a, uh, what was the word they used? We found a, um, you know, uh, a I, why, did I, why can't I think of the word they used? They just like found a bunch of Legends packs or boxes in a storage unit kind of thing. Like that was the joke or whatever. And so they just opened up a bunch of cases of Legends. And then some of those cards are going to be in the pack. So I think it was like three less than 3% of all of... I think it was... Was it the collector packs, if I remember right? Let me pull up their Twitter and I'll find this. But it's like less than 3% of all the packs or whatever are going to have some of these legend uh, stuff. And like they showed them opening some of the packs. So there will be a tabernacle in the pack. So hopefully that one gets opened. And a couple other big cards. Some of the big stuff is not going to be in there. Plus they're like, we're not putting certain cards in the pack. Yeah, there's no mana drain. Well, yeah, there's no mana drain. There's obviously no invoke prejudice and some of the other stuff like that. None of the banned cards. None of the banned cards. But... Um, there was a couple cards that aren't going to make it in for, they didn't say certain reasons for some, and then for some they were like, we just didn't actually open this card, because there was a weird print run, apparently, with Legends. Like, you know, like, they probably, like, printed, like, a bunch of sheets together. They got into boxes, like, where a certain card just wasn't on those sheets. So, like, if you opened these, like, three pallets, or, like, you know, these couple cases, like, you're just not actually going to open a, uh, a card of a, of a specific kind. So uh, that was a thing that's going on. I'm trying to find the exact announcement for, you know, the, the numbers on this. Uh, they didn't actually tweet it. Somebody else tweeted it. I'll go off on Safranol's Twitter here in a second. He's got it all. But one of the funniest things for me about this whole set, and I wanted to hear your opinion on it. So not only does that happen, but the set also has 
box toppers, right? So you get a you get a box topper in it, and my favorite part about all this, it's a standard legal set, right? Like it's your it's your standard set. It's like your trademark thing. The box topper that comes in the set is not standard legal. Do you do you have any problem with that? Um, I mean, no it one plays standard strange, right? anyway, so I, I, I guess agree, that's fine. Still. <laughs> it's this to me is a sign that uh, they are moving away from standard, even as a paper set at all. Yeah, like, I mean, like they'll still like be like, you can play this, but like. It's a, it's a it's a sign of growing disconnect between digital and paper magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I mean, like someone's like, it's not really that bad. I'm like, yes, I agree that it's not bad, right? But at the same time, it's like, can you imagine like Modern Horizons three with like the 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 box topper is you know textless brainstorm, and it's not in Modern Horizons three. Like it's a card you can't play. You know, and so the people buying this are like buying it because, like, you know, for multiple different reasons, but a lot, the most often buys, I I want these cards for my modern deck. And so it just it just rubs me the wrong way. Is is the thing I think here? It's just like it's a little annoying. Yeah, it's weird. Definitely, but definitely strange. Yeah, we're not going to talk about these uh, sticker things that are going on. I actually don't get it myself, and I'm just going to be an old man. Yeah, that let's yells. just talk about these preview cards. I've just been reading them. Yeah, I actually, I saw one of them. I saw the Rakdos card, mm-hmm. but I did not see the other ones. Some of these yeah. seem pretty cool. Also, real quick before we get, did you see the uh, promo cards that are going to be coming out too? No. Well, one of them is the tech. I'm sure you saw the textless Omnath Loki. Oh, creation. I did see that. Yeah, Flubber Omnath. Yeah, so it's just like I love that they picked these textless cards. It's like this encrypted command, two of the wordiest cards yeah. of all time. We spent years talking about the textless cryptic command being like the worst possible choice, and they're like, yeah. bet. <laughs> you're like hold my beer <laughs> we, we got you it's, it's like they choose them to be the wordiest so it like saves them on printing costs they're just like mm-hmm. what if we got to print fewer words <laughs> so let's take the one with the most words and we get overall kind of yeah we can kind of you know make them a little less if you will and stuff but yeah we can go ahead and talk about some of these cards um what was the one that you said you were wanted to talk about first the Rakdos card i said that was the one i had seen Okay. I don't think the card is particularly good. It's like a limited E card. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a couple rares, right? But we've seen actually a decent bit of red cards and green cards and some and some some you know mixture colored ones. Let's talk about the the, the big one that got uh, previewed here, and that's Jaya Fiery Negotiator. Uh, so this is a new Planeswalker, obviously a new Jaya. This one's a little more pushed than the prior Jayas though that we're seeing here because this is a four mana Planeswalker, two red red with four loyalty and four abilities. Yeah, and, uh, and we've never seen that before, right? <laughs> nope, never, never, never seen it before. I don't know what that could compare to. Yeah, that would have been too good. There's no way they could have done that before. Yeah, so it has four abilities. So let's go over them. So, like I said, four, four loyalty. Uh, it's got a plus one. Create a one-one red monk creature with prowess. Um, so we need Bosch and Roll to remake some of his tokens because he's the the prowess monk from winning the invitation. We need to make some red versions of, yeah. of him. Um, it's got a minus one. Exile the top two cards of your library. Choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. So the, the typical red uh, card advantage, but, but still good. S- significantly better. That, so than the, the Chandra. That, yeah. that Chandra, you know, we call it Chandra ability, uh, but you know, it's become the sort of red form of card advantage uh, with things like light up the stage uh, and so yeah. on. Uh, following it, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of variance. In, in what you hit, sometimes you hit cards that you can't cast, and so you're not really drawing a card at that point. Uh, you know, Chandra Torch of Defiance made up for that a little bit by giving you two damage, you know, if you didn't want to cast the card. Uh, but 
every extra card that you look at, you know, if you change it from just look, you know, look at one, you can play that one to look at two, you can play that one. You're significantly increasing your odds of hitting a relevant card. So this is going to, you know, hit the, the, I've drawn a card that was relevant and used it much more often, uh, you know, at least twice as often as the, uh, as a regular uh, ability. So, you know, if, if you were using the, um, well, I guess not at least twice as often because if the other one hit, you know, like 60% of the time, this would hit, uh, less, you would have to do, it. uh, I could do the math, but, uh, not the time nor place. So, uh, but sig- significantly better, um, you know, because you're mitigating the downside of that ability doing nothing in, in a really real way. So I think that's actually one of the most important lines of text on the card is that that card draw ability, which I think is the most relevant on it, uh, you know, is looking at two cards. You're really digging in. You can also play lands off. It says play, not cast. So if you need to hit that fifth land drop, sixth land drop for whatever you're doing, um, you know, th- th- this is an ability that lets you do that. Yeah, and I do think it's important to say, just so everybody at home, it did say play. You may play that card this turn. So if you do it two lands, you are, you know, you can play one of the lands, unless this is turn four, and you probably can't because you played your land to play Jaya, but whatever. Um, it does have an aggressive negative here. It's a little different than Chandra, but it plays out similar depending on how you build your decks. As a minus two, it says choose target creature and opponent controls. Whenever you attack this turn, Jaya Fiery Negotiator deals damage equal to the number of attacking creatures to that creature. So if you have like two or three creatures in play, you can be like, all right, target that thing, attack. It bolts that. It shocks that. So it's not as clean as Chandra is in the past, but it's less loyalty. And if you're building an aggressive deck, you know, which uh, if you're playing this card, which makes 1-1 one, one red monk creatures with prowess, I'm assuming you're going to have prowess one drops or two drops in your deck. So uh, this one kind of leans towards, you know, working pretty well with the deck that's going to be built around this card. Yeah, the, the, I, you know, other the, the minus one exiling two cards and you getting to pick uh, is a really big plus in the favor. In this case, I, it's a, it's Very the change from just dealing four yeah. is definitely a downgrade because it means Jaya compared to Chandra Torture Defiance is a lot less applicable across a broad range of archetypes. Uh, you know, going to be a lot harder to play this in a low creature count mid-range or control deck, uh, whereas you did see that happen in uh, you know, certain points. But, uh, you know, Chandra saw a ton of play during its time in Standard uh, and has seen play in, in older formats as well. Um, you know, but this one, you know, there, there will be sometimes when it benefits, when the minus two is still dealing three, four damage uh, and killing the creature you want to kill, now you, you've saved a loyalty. So uh, definitely points you in that direction of, you know, we want to be playing this in a creature-heavy deck. Um, and this is sort of the, your your curve topper to either deal with that last blocker and end the game or, you know, help you recover from a sweeper and things like that. Um, but, yeah, d- d- doesn't seem, just based on those three, it's obviously the ultimate is going to be a very minor part of the card, so I'm really looking at those first three abilities. Yeah. If you compare that to Chandra Torch of Defiance, I think you come out a little bit behind, but not not by that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that ultimate, it is minus eight. You get an emblem with, whenever you cast a red instant or sorcery spell, copy it twice. You may choose new targets for the copies. And this is kind of weird. So, like, the other abilities want you to have creatures, you know, and to be, like, a little aggressive. And this one's talking about, you know, casting a bunch of instant sorcery. So, like, 
you would need a good bit of them in your deck for this to still happen, plus, like, you'd have to plus this four separate times. It'd be around for five turns, so they're probably dead. I don't know. I don't see the minus eight, like, almost ever yeah. happening without Car someone doing... Ultimate. But yeah, if it did ultimate, crazy with it, yeah. I would want to cast a Tarka's Command. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> plus three, plus three to my team, take nine. So this this is a four mana Planeswalker with four abilities, kind of. Like, it's it's yeah. kind of like Jace was back in the day, where it's like, you, you don't... I mean, like, I feel like Jace will ultimate infinitely more than this one, but you get what I'm trying to say here, is... This it's is just, just a, a bit of a muddled, a muddled design. Uh, it's not as nearly as clean as Chandra Torch of Defiance, but, you know, it creates threats it's going to be hard to attack down the difference between a 1-1 token and a 1-1 with prowess is pretty big mm -hmm. um you know it's it, giant, if you're able to yeah. turn that into two twos and three threes and trade them for significant you know creatures on the battlefield that is a big deal uh so i, I think that you know that's important that the one thing that you know com again comparing it to chandra torture defiance I think the thing that a lot of people will overlook in terms of how good Chandra was was that plus ability on Chandra making mana was used a lot to create yeah. these huge tempo swings where you would plus Chandra and then cast a Harness Lightning or, you know, a Scorching Dragonfire or any sort of two-mana removal spell on a creature. And now it was a lot harder for them to attack down the Chandra. And, it, you know, you got ahead or you'd, like, you know, play some sort of two-drop off of it. Uh, those kind of turns were really important in generating, you know, uh, a lot of tempo and generating that development advantage. Jai doesn't really let you do that. It's more of that classic grinded out kind of planeswalker. Um, but ho hopefully, you know, we'll find home in some aggressive red decks. We we've been talking about red having enough tools for a while, though this is going to be a rotation. But I, I think red has gotten some good tools over the last year. Uh, just hasn't been able to compete with some of the high-end stuff in, in the format. But maybe after rotation, when it's keeping a lot of those powerful tools and adding things like Jaya, you know, maybe it, it finally meets the bar yeah speaking of aggressive red cards another mythic that got previewed was shivan devastator this is x and red for a creature dragon hydra it has flying haste and enters the battlefield with x plus plus one counters on it it's a zero zero so it's kind of like a fireball but it's an actual dragon so this is kind of cool this allows you in um if you're like a commander player or anything like that if you have like a theme deck that's like a dragon deck or a hydra deck i've even seen that this is a fireball that also, like, fits into the theme of your deck. You know, it can trigger things like when, you know, a creature comes into play or a dragon comes into play or your dragons are cheaper or something like that. So this little thing, it's a fireball that has uh, so, some interesting built stuff into it. Yeah, and, and the rate is quite good. When we think about the, you know, powerful five-mana dragons, and there have been a lot over the years, you know, Glorybringer, um, you know, Goldspan Dragon, Thundermaw Hellkite, uh, among others, Stormbreath Dragon. Most of them have been 5-mana 4-4, four, four, Flying Haste. Well, this one is that. X equals 4, it's, it's a 5-mana 4-4, four, four, Flying Haste. Now, it doesn't have extra abilities at that rate, like those other cards did, but Shivan Devastator's extra ability is that scaling cost. So when you draw it late, sometimes it's a 9-9, nine, nine, and it wins the game when those cards wouldn't you know, or dominates the battlefield, it kills a, a bigger planeswalker, bigger loyalty. And sometimes you cast it uh, just to help curve out, you know, it's your three drop. And it, and because you already have some other, you know, big spell in your hand, you have a Jaya that you want to cast on four and you want to make sure you have creatures on the battlefield so you can minus two, uh, you know, things like that. So that you, you got to think of that versatility in terms of the casting cost the, you know that X is is an ability of sorts, and that's where you're getting the extra value out of this card. So to me, it, it compares reasonably well to a lot of those you know 
five mana, four four flying ace dragons that have been so good. I would probably put it um, ahead of Stormbreath Dragon, but behind um, Glorybringer and Goldspan. Goldspan, Glorybringer, come on. I know. Uh, well, Goldspan is the, the real fucked up one. Yeah. Goldspan that Dragon was, was just like Teferi and Stormbreath Dragon had a baby, and it was just not okay. <laughs> it's like sure. they didn't learn their lesson from Teferi. Uh, Why did so, they teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, there will definitely be games that end with just a miracle top deck Shivan Devastator coming in for fucking eight damage. Mm-hmm. And uh, speaking of more red uh, rares in the set, we get a return of one of my favorite abilities of all time. That's Kicker. And so this one's a little wordy. I'm going to try to get through this one. It's three red red for a sorcery. It's called Temporal Firestorm. It's got Kicker and Ore. One in a white and one in a blue. So you can do both, one, or none. Uh, choose up to X creatures and or planeswalkers you control, where X is the number of times this spell was kicked. Those permanents phase out. Temporal Firestorm deals five damage to each creature and each planeswalker. So it's a five mana sorcery. So this is burn the house down without the make the one ones. It's five mana sorcery, uh, deal five damage to each creature and each planeswalker. Decent little you know effect doing that, right? Yeah. But it does have the extra extra kicker of one in a white or one in a blue. Um, where you can phase out like a specific permit of your own. So you can be like, I want to make sure this Planeswalker survives and this creature survives. So let me pay a little extra, kill all this other stuff, this thing phases out, and then it's going to come back and, and be alive. So interesting yeah. card here. In- it's pretty oh. expensive. Yeah, interesting, because you like that idea where like you you, know, you get to play your sweeper and save your thing. Um, but in practice, sweepers usually have to get cast on curve. Like, you know, if you're able to wait until turn seven to cast your sweeper, you probably didn't really need to save your thing because you're, you know, your, your opponent probably isn't doing a whole lot. Right. You know, if they're not putting you under enough pressure to demand the sweeper. Um, so I think ultimately the way it plays out is that there's not a lot of situations where those kickers are particularly relevant. You know, it'll look cool when you do it, but will it really be necessary? I, I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. Um, we did have a few more other cards. Hold on, I lost the page. There we go. Sorry, I've got like 17 tabs up. All right, this one um, <clears throat> is called Evolved Sleeper. It's one black creature, human. It's a 1-1. One, one. And uh, this is kind of a functional reprint, just in a different color, so this is really sweet. It's one black. Evolved Sleeper becomes a human's cleric with base power and toughness 2-2. Two, two. I'm sorry, just one black for that one. One and a black. If Evolved Sleeper is a cleric... Put a death touch counter on it. It becomes a Phyrexian human cleric base power toughness three and three. So we're seeing some Phyrexian references here because we, we've kind of been building up to this. To going back to Phyrexia, they've been kind of infiltrating the last few sets. Yeah. And the last ability, one black black. If Evolve Sleeper is a Phyrexian, put a plus and plus one counter on it. Then you draw a card and you lose one life. So, uh, if there is a black based or just that can afford these these costs, if there's a black aggro deck or a human deck. This is one of the one drops that you're going to see get played quite a bit. Yeah, you know, we have a, a reasonably long history of, of cards like this being quite good and constructed. Figure of Destiny was a powerhouse in its day. Uh, Warden of the First Tree, a significant player in its standard format. Um, and this, you know, compares reasonably well to them on stats. It doesn't really do the overwhelming, uh, you know, huge threat at the end. Uh, like they did, you know, Warden got five counters, became an 8-8, eight, eight, uh, and you could actually keep doing that for six mana to pop, and the, the I believe, figure became like an 8-8 eight, eight flyer uh, mm-hmm. at that six mana level. They became non, 
non-manageable. Yeah, you got yeah, something that would dominate the game by itself. In this case, the first time you activate that third ability, you're going to end up with a four-four, but you will have drawn an extra card. You know, you can you can start generating card advantage with it's this cheaper too. Uh, there, um, you know, and and it is significantly cheaper. Uh, and much like Warden, you can keep activating that last ability. Uh, so you can get it to a 5-5, five, five, draw more cards, 6-6, six, six, and so on. That that aspect is interesting. Uh, unfortunate that Model Black Aggro is not really a player in Pioneer right now. Um, yeah. Would have been I interesting to see it if you know they yeah. were if they wanted that card um, you know in that deck as, as one of their one drops. Um, because I, I could easily see like even cutting a two drop for it because this is a card that gives you a lot of ways to use your mana in the late game. That's a deck that already did have a lot of ways to use its mana, so you know you don't want to play too many of those because then you can't you don't have enough mana to feed everything. Um, but this is a somewhat interesting one. I, I do worry that the way Magic is played, you know, these days that you like, you just don't have a lot of time to you know to invest into this. Like you're spending four mana to get to that second level, and it's just a three three. And two mana, and it's a two-two. So you're sort of like a grizzly bear, but with split cost, yeah, which is a little not... bit better. Um, you know, figure once that you hit that second level, it was a four-four, uh, significantly bigger. Be, yeah, these would be one of those ones that like it possibly reads a little better than it plays. Yeah, in the fact well, that as the game goes on, Warden was attacking as a three-three on turn two, and you often just stopped. Like at that, it, most games ended there with Warden. Like, and if if both players got down to nothing, they need to go. Okay, like I'll pay the four. Give it lifelink and trample, and then hopefully get to pay the six and make it an eight eight. Um, so here, it, it, because those first couple levels seem like a little bit below par, I think it's going to compare worse, um, yeah. you know, overall than those. But it's this kind of effect is usually game. pretty valuable. Yeah. Like, aggro decks need ways to use their mana in the late game. Uh, this is you know you're often just going to use that extra mana on a turn where like you didn't perfectly curve out. And if you did perfectly curve out, you're okay with just having a one-one on the battlefield. So, I'm I'm I don't think it's quite as good as some of its previous uh, you know comparisons, but I would definitely still give this one a try, and I wouldn't be surprised yeah, sure. to see it see significant play. And uh, the last one we're going to talk about uh, this is one that I think Brendan DeCandio is pretty happy to see. He's like pretty excited about this one. This is definitely a card like his like his kind of stuff that he likes. This is Lanawar Lone Speaker, and uh, all those words together, it's kind of like three different iconic green things all put together so I, I was like i saw the name of it and i was like oh this might be good so there's one <laughs> one in a green for an elf druid that's a one three you can tap it to add one mana of any color and then target land you control becomes a three three elemental creature with haste until on a turn it's still a land activate only sorcery so i think this card's fine in the fact that it's a one three so it should survive most of the removal early game in standard formats and if you randomly played this in pioneer there's a lot of shock variants so it will survive quite a bit of those it adds a mana to your mana pool of any color. So if you're playing more than just mono green here, this is something that not only like ramps but fixes. And then later in the game, it doesn't suffer from the problem of like when you have cards like this where like they just might not do anything. Now you're just throwing lands at your opponent a lot of the time. Yeah, uh, you know, interesting mana creature because you like the fact that it can do something else later in the game. And, uh, you know, making 3-3 three, three bodies out of your lands is pretty reasonable. Um, the worry I have about this card is... You know, the, the fact that it, it's killable. And if you're playing a two-mana ramp creature, you're probably building your curve with not as many threes and a significantly, you know, higher number of fours because you want to take advantage of that jump. And 
when you do that, you, you leave yourself open to them just trading their card for your loam speaker. Then you often don't have a three drop. So you're either playing another mana creature or not doing anything on your turn three and you're kind of falling behind. And then your ramp cards are coming on time instead of ahead of time. And they're not enough to catch you back up. Uh, you know, your ramp payoffs. Uh, so you know, that was one of the things that Sylvan Carry added was so good at. The fact that it was hexproof meant that like, it almost always lived, unless your opponent had things like self-inflicted wound. They had to play very specific cards that often only came in out of the sideboard to in order to answer it. You know, here it's like Strangle, Fatal Push, and Pioneer, both clean answers to it. Portable Hole, uh, seeing a lot of play now, so uh, like most decks are going to have one of those three cards probably. Um, and and then in standard, to me, I would have to look like what is the removal people are playing. If, if this card is surviving a lot of the two-mana removal people have, then I like it. If it's not, then I don't like it. So to me, it's very much a metagame card. Uh, you know, I don't see it happening in Pioneer because of all the one-mana stuff that can target it. And in addition, like, it's not better than Wolf Haven or Sylvan Carry added in the decks that are interested in a two-mana mana creature. So there's just so much competition in mm-hmm. Pioneer. I don't see it. Standard, it would be dependent on the removal. Yeah, I can see it being like a huge player in standard in the right spots, right? And yeah. Depending on like if there is a deck that wants this, and the and the like, the environment for itself is conducive to it living past yeah. you know turn and, one or two. The, the mana fixing and mana ramp here in standard is great. Like, Sylvan Carry added was a staple in standard, not just in ramp decks, but in like mid range decks. It was that Sylvan Carry added Corsor Crufix core. The mid-range decks tended to play where you go at turn two carry added, turn three Corsair, hit the land off the top. I have all these defensive creatures. I'm generating card advantage. They're hard to kill. Uh, and I'm fixing. So these were usually three-color decks, whether it was Abzan mid-range or like Sultai whip and things like that. This is a card that could fit into those decks. It would, that, that ability, the second ability makes, makes you want to be a little bit more aggressive. But you could have imagined like playing this in a more aggressively slanted Abzan deck with Siege Rhinos and Wingmate Rocks and things like that, where you would go like turn two Lone Speaker, turn three, uh, you know, Siege Rhino, turn four, Wingmate Rock you. Next turn, my Lone Speaker is suddenly attacking for three with one of my lands. Uh, and you're putting your opponent under a lot of pressure while still having this, you know, somewhat robust mid to late game. Uh, that's the kind of deck that this card fits in. Um, or it's just a good ramp creature in metagames where they can't really kill it effectively. Exactly, exactly. So uh, those were like the preview cards we've had so far. I assume over the next couple weeks we're going to get quite a bit more, so I'm excited to see that. Um, I've actually been playing a decent bit of Magic lately compared to how much in like actual paper that I've been playing. Um, a lot of that's been that format that we talked about you know, last week, which, by the way, a lot of traction on it in the, uh, in the MCG Rants Discord so far. So if you're looking for some, some outlets there, there's actually a, uh, an actual section now in the Discord where people are talking about stuff. And it's pretty cool. Uh, we've got Kess in there as well. So, you know, he was talking about he's kind of the progenitor of the idea. Like, as soon as he started talking about it, I kind of ran with it. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Uh, we've had Brent actually post a uh, a deck in here along with some other people. It looks like Jared Ferris has posted a deck list in here. And I'm going to get around to doing it uh, really soon myself so you can get some ideas of what you want to kind of look at. And I'll let you all know, if, I, if I'm at an event anytime in the future, which... I've got at least three events planned over the next few months. Plus, you know, I might go to some of this DreamHack stuff that's coming up too. If I'm there physically, I will have at least two decks on me at all times. So if you come up and you don't have one, but you like the format, you just want to play a game, let me know. I'm, I'm always down to clown when it comes to this format. So a lot of cool stuff. Um, we're still working out all the kinks on some of the smaller things. Ross gave me like quite a bit of things to think about last week. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you do. 
uh, one of the other things you wanted to talk about, Ross, and this is something we do quite a bit. Um, we talk about the discourse that's been going on on Twitter, and this is this is a thing that got talked about quite a bit in the last couple of weeks, and I think you and I can definitely lend our voices to this conversation. And you kind of wanted to have a conversation on deck selection because you've got an event this weekend coming yeah. up, and I can put myself in the mental space of, hey, I have an event this weekend to play in. You know, <clears throat> I mean, I've been doing it a lot, A, for flesh and blood because I've got a pro tour coming up, but B, you know, I've got RCQs that I'm watching. I watch streams almost every day, et cetera, et cetera. So I've got some ideas here, but I know you really had some stuff to get off your chest when it came to this. Yeah, I mean, last week we talked about it sort of somewhat theoretically, you know, because the, the, the discourse of the week was about, you know, playing the best deck versus playing the best deck for you. Uh, and I thought, you know, there was a lot of extremes on both sides, and I had a bit more of a nuanced take there. Um, and, you know, with me playing a tur- an RCQ this weekend, I actually have to go through the process of, of selecting a deck. <laughs> and uh, so I, th- I thought it would be a good time to just, you know, show you some of the, the principles in action uh, and, you know, you know, refer back to some of the things we talked about uh, in the last episode. So, you know, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would probably listen to that first before this segment. Um, you know, and because it'll be a lot more informed or at least go back immediately and listen to that. Um, but I, I, I'm not going to be playing one of the, you know, default best decks in the metagame. I've, uh, I'm not a big fan of any of them, to be honest. I understand that they're all, you know, very powerful Pioneer, and good. Right? For Pioneer, right? Uh, yeah, uh, no, this is for Modern. Our RCQ is Modern. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so I'm playing Modern this weekend and, you know, looking at recent results and things, the way I have it broken down is the three decks I am, you know, most uh preparing for so the sort of my tier one and this doesn't mean that you know the three best decks these are you know these are just the, i think going to be three of the most popular and successful so the, the combination of that of i think they are both good and popular uh and that's of course four color omnath both variants whether they're risen reefing or not um you know is it murktide and living end which uh you know was quite popular last weekend online uh, and the Cascade decks tend to, you know, sh- sort of shift back and forth. And then uh, there's four decks that I have identified as sort of my tier two. Uh, so this is, you know, the, uh, decks that I'm going to have a, a, you know, full plan mapped out for. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not as important that I, I'm good against them as I am as the top three. But, uh, you know, definitely still present and ones that I, I don't I want, you know, to account for in both my deck choice and my deck build. Uh, and those are uh, Amulet Titan, uh, Yawgmoth, uh, Team of Rhinos, and um, what is the other one? I should have written this down before we did this. Um, there is definitely a fourth one. It's not a Cascade deck. It's not a mid-range deck. Oh, Hammer, Hammer. Yeah, Hammer Titan. <laughs> I was going to let you get there. Yeah, uh, so so those those four decks are sort of my my tier two. Those seven are the ones that you know I'm going to have a significant plan or a a, a fully uh, thought out plan against. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll think about some other things like you know what am I doing against Blue Eye Control, for example, or uh, what am I doing against you know uh, Grixis Shadow. Those would be sort of tier three decks for me um, that I'll give a passing thought to, but won't have a huge impact in in what I play or how I build the deck. And, you know, the first thing I would do after thinking you know, laying out the metagame is the first step for me, right? Because I've, I have to have a picture of what I'm trying to combat. So, you know, tier one to me, like I said, is that combination of power and success. 
Um, and then tier two is, you know, same metric, but they rank a little bit lower uh, on one, the other, or, or both. Um, and when I look at that, you know, those seven, the first thing I would do is like, you know, do I think any of the tier one decks are, are right for me to be playing? I would immediately rule out Living End as a linear strategy that I don't particularly like because it's vulnerable to a lot of different things, although it is powerful now with, with Grief and Force of Negation. Um, you know, that's the kind of deck that I would pick up w- when it was less popular. Um, you know, any anytime I play a linear deck, I want it to be at a time when, when people aren't really thinking about it, uh, whereas I think people are thinking about, you know, Cascade decks in general and Living End in particular. Uh, so that one I would immediately rule out. And then the other two, Four Color Omnath is, ob- you know, Everyone's pick is like default best deck in the format, um, and that's just not a me deck. Uh, right. I'm not going to sit there and play hour and a half long matches, uh, grinding out the, you know with that pile of puke. Uh, it's just not. It's just not a me deck. Uh, that deck is that deck is outside of my range. So uh, so I eliminate that one pretty quickly as well. Is is a Merktide is you know that would be, that's definitely the safe choice for me to play. And I'll recognize that. I think it, it plays my strengths. It's a deck that plays from ahead, uh, you know, has a proactive game plan, has a little bit of disruption, can play a longer game, um, you know, in addition to, pl- to playing aggressively. So it has that versatility that I'm looking for. Um, and plays a style that I like, you know, plays a lot of cards that I like. So that would have been an easy choice. Um, but honestly, I think that deck is just kind of underpowered. I, I, I you know, it's the kind of deck that is always overrepresented. Uh, because it is the exact kind of deck that most players gravitate towards. Like it has universal answers and counterspell, but it's still somewhat aggressive. It plays a lot of powerful cards. But one of the signs to me that that deck isn't as good as you know it its numbers might suggest is the way it's being built. Uh, recently, you see a lot more one mana counters like main deck spell pierces, and they've been trimming on Archmage's charms. And the, obviously, like the, the reason they have to do that is because their end game is not particularly strong in the current metagame. So it actually forces them to be a little bit more linear um, and rely on those the, the sort of aggressive plan, that plan A, and move away from their plan B of just, you know, grinding it out with Archmage's Charms. I mean, I remember like five months ago, they used to have like a main deck Jace a lot of the time. Now, sometimes you see one on the sideboard, sometimes you don't. So the, the decks have gotten a lot more aggressive. You know, that could also be, you know, partly due to Ledger Shredder giving you, you know, somewhat powerful of a more powerful late game option. Uh, and then there, there's the question of, you know, do I play Ledger Shredder? Do I play Channeler? Do I play both? Uh, what mix do I play? Uh, that, you know, I don't have great answers to that question because I'm not playing, is it? But to me, like, I would want to play that deck in a metagame when four Archmage's Charms was correct. Because I think its versatility at this point is somewhat of a ruse, and that it actually has to be a, a pretty aggressive deck in order to win. And it seems to me that it's going to be difficult to do that with the quality of removal that everyone has. You know, all of these solitudes and unholy heats and things match up quite well against your threats. Um, if, if this was still a metagame where there was a ton of fatal pushes and, you know, things that just didn't kill Merktide Regent. Uh, then I'd be much more inclined to play. Is it? But you know that is a, a year ago at this point. Um, so after thinking about it, I, I just think Is a Merktide is one of the more overrated decks in modern, um, and it, you know it's telling in, in the way that the the decks are being built now that 
they have to go away from one of the things I really liked about it, which was that versatility, and become more of just a sort of straightforward tempo deck. And as much as I like that style, I don't want to be linear again in, uh, you know, with a deck that everyone expects. Like I said, if I was a linear deck where Merktide Regent was going to live all the time, then that's a different story. Uh, so that's sort of how I eliminated those top three. Um, in the other four, I've uh, vowed never to play Amulet Titan ever again. Uh, so that one's immediately eliminated. Um, uh, Team of Rhinos is uh, a fine deck to me, but a very strange one where like it's kind of going over the top of you, kind of not. Um, it's like kind of slow, but it does have some, you know, like nut draws. Yeah. yeah some like awesome draws in it. Um, that's a deck that I think I have to play with some and like figure out exactly. Like I, I'm just, I just not confident. I can figure that out in four days. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, but that's a deck that I, I'll revisit for, uh, future tournaments. And then, uh, hammer time and Yogmoth, both decks, you know, are in my wheelhouse as like, you know, creature based combo decks uh, of somewhat different sorts. Uh, unfortunately, I think Hammer just doesn't have, uh, you know, is, is a solidly tier two deck without Luris. Uh, it just doesn't have that robust late game that it used to have. Um, and, and that's a big problem with how good the disruption is that everyone has all these free spells, Force of Vigor, Solitudes, and then cheap removal. Um, and then. Yawgmoth is a deck that I would love to play. I think the deck is quite good uh, and is very much in my wheelhouse. But I actually think the deck I chose might be like a better version of it. Um, and I'm 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 not a hundred percent, but I'm like ninety percent sure I'm going to play Grinding Breach this weekend. I'm going to go in the ten percent of that. You're just wrong. Yeah. Every time you play one of these decks, you're horrendously wrong usually. So, uh, but I'm hoping you do well. Yeah. Of course. So the thing with so, uh, to me, Grinding Breach and Yawgmoth are, are pretty similar decks. They have the, this kind of aggro plan to them, but, you know, the combo plan backup, they can grind, oh, and especially with, with Grist out of Yawgmoth, um, and, and sort of play uh, a bit of a controlling game, too. But the differentiating factor for me is just the individual card quality. Instead of having to put Young Wolf and Stranglergeist into my modern deck in the year 2022, I'm playing a deck that has Urza Saga, Raghavan, Ledger Shredder, Expressive Iteration, Mishra's Bauble, and Unholy Heat in it. Yeah, those cards are all really powerful. Yeah. The only bad card you have to put in your deck is Grinding Station. Uh, that's sort of your Splinter Twin, so you play three of them. And yeah, I've been thinking about like making this rule for you. You're no longer allowed to play like Jeskai Ascendancy in any deck, and this deck is like, <laughs> dangerously close to that. You know what I mean? Like that deck was bad, but that deck was that deck was bad. that deck was very linear. This deck mm -hmm. actually has a robust beatdown plan, and the okay. fact that uh, Grinding Station is a weak individual card gets significantly mitigated now that you're playing Ledger Shredder instead of DRC. So you can just pitch it and then recast it once you go, go for your breach and and just combo that way. Uh, Ledger Shredder, it's the best Ledger Shredder deck in the history of Magic, uh, which I know isn't saying much because Ledger Shredder is only like three months old. But you have more zeros than anyone, so you can connive on turn two with it more than any other deck. You take advantage of filling your graveyard better than any other deck. Uh, you know, you're, you're a combo deck, so filtering is really important. But more than just being a combo deck, you're an incredibly versatile deck. And this is a deck that can play that aggro game that you know, is it Merktide can play? It can play a bit of a control game with Emery 
You know, a lot of the times you loop Emery with Engineer Explosives or Tormod's Crypt in matchups where those are really good, like Hammer and Living End, respectively. This sounds uh, pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then you have the, the combo plan of, of Grinding Station and, and Breach. But the, the thing that I think has unlocked it for me, and I don't know why, I, why it took me so long to figure it out, but when I w- uh, first played the deck, I was too reticent to use my, uh, my Breaches for value. Uh, I would sometimes, but my line was too high. I have essentially learned that Underworld Breach is just Glimpse of Nature from when I was playing Elves in Legacy in 2014. And I would I would play Glimpse of Nature to draw two or three cards very regularly. And I'm just going to start doing that with Underworld Breach. And I'm pretty sure that's going to make the deck busted. Because now you just have this Underworld Breach card that, like, you know, sometimes it just draws, like, five cards. So it's, like, two mana draw five while you're doing your, you know, Emery plan or doing your Ledger Shredder and, and Raghavan plans and what have you. Um, and this idea, I, I think people are put off to the deck because they think of it as a combo deck. And they look at all the pieces and they realize that there's, you know, so many ways to attack the combo, right? You can... You can uh, attack the graveyard most regularly. You can play things like Damping Sphere or uh, the other or Chalice the Void or Void Mirror. Uh, not as popular these days, but you can. Uh, and certainly were popular like six or eight months ago in the modern metagame. Um, you know, creature removal is relevant because you can kill Emery's and Ragavans and things like that. Uh, so like basically every form of disruption is relevant against you. Uh, but when you have you know, as much card advantage and as much versatility as this deck does, like, you can grind through all of that interaction um, as long as you're aware of, like, which game plan you're aiming for and, you know, navigate through it. And that's one of the things that I think I'm best at in Magic. So I do think this deck plays my strengths very well. It's playing lots of incredibly powerful cards and it has a very versatile game plan. And it's a combo deck that people aren't, you know, I, I would say that they aren't really thinking about but they are going to be, you know, they're going to have good cards against you. It's not that, like they're going to be completely unprepared, but they just don't know how to play them against you. They don't know which ones are the best ones. Uh, I am expecting a lot of people to over-sideboard, uh, and that's very beneficial against a deck that has so many different game plans. If they, you know, draw too much hate, they're just not going to be able to get their own game plan going, and you're going to be able to win with whatever, you know, is left over after you cast a value breach and an expressive iteration and just outdraw them. I think the deck is just really good. It uh, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, it's, I like all the cards in it. I'm yeah, it, very the deck interested. has one bad card in it. It's just Grinding Station, and yeah, it's I mean, playing like sucks. a million cards that have been banned in various different formats. You know, Underworld Breach banned in multiple formats. Expressive Iteration banned in Pioneer. Uh, Ragavan banned in Legacy. Those uh, cards will be banned in. Well, Expressive Iteration will eventually be banned in multiple formats. Yeah, but yeah. Mishra's Bobble, a card people have talked about banning in different formats, and they probably should have. That's busted. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Urza Saga, you know, it's it's all busted cards, every single one of them. And then you splash yeah, white. So yeah, lot, lots uh, of options and stuff yeah. there for sure. So that was a long rant, and hopefully you were Just able to follow it uh, to some extent. I followed like ninety uh, percent of it. Yeah, As, you know, I know essentially, you to me, but yeah, what's going to happen is if I th- if I think I'm right, I'll keep playing the deck, and if I think I'm wrong, I'm going to default back to either Yawgmoth, Rhinos, or is a Merktide. Yeah, just a, a, a solid deck. Like, yeah, yeah so those, are, the, those like... are like my three safe choices. I like those decks. Uh, they fit in, into my wheelhouse. 
uh, you know, whereas the other three decks I, I don't particularly like. I think, uh, you know, like I said, with four C, it's just not my thing. Living End, too linear for how expected it is. Um, uh, hammer, too... Um, uh, I would say, again, like too linear for how expected it is. You know, when it had Luris, it wasn't as linear. You could play that grindy element to it. Once you lose that, all you have is this sort of combo element. Uh, and then what, what was the other one I was talking about? Oh, Amulet? Yeah, I'm just never playing that deck again. <laughs> exactly. So, I've like, been traumatized. Amulet's a deck that I have respect for but can never play because, A, like, I just don't know what I'm doing Oh, the uh, deck. Yeah, I played it for, like, three months, and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and, I just, yeah. I feel like when I play it, I don't do it. I do it a disservice. You yeah. know I'm saying? Like, I'm not playing it to its its full potential, and I would just have to do so much more testing. The, so. the deck is a lot different than it, it used to be, too. Like, a, you know, you're not playing as many of the utility lands that I remember having. Mm-hmm. You're almost always just, like, hoping your, like, 6-6 six, six Titan is good enough. You've got Cultivator Colossus now. That can help. The deck is, a uh, don't know. The deck does not feel nearly as enjoyable to me. There's not as many puzzles to it. There's like three different things that you do. Uh, that was that was you know obviously like Dryad was, was a, is a huge part of the deck, but it it honestly homogenized it a lot uh, because that Valakit plan you know sort of takes over for a lot of different things that you used to do. I'm not saying that should be a reason for me not to play it, but um, I have I have other reasons. I just never want to play that deck again. Yeah, I'll get over them eventually. You know, I still own my Primeval Titans, and and I think I. I own a significant part of that deck, but uh, for now, you know, still still not over it. Yeah, I haven't even really thought about um, playing Modern recently, because, like, all the RCQs and stuff near me have been Pioneer, and so, like, I couldn't give you an honest answer if you were like, hey, you play Modern tomorrow, what are you playing? I'd be like, I have no fucking clue. Like, I have no <laughs> idea, right? And, like, you know, I'm, a, I'm probably a little different, but very similar in the ways that I, like, choose my decks that I play in tournaments, and for me, it's just been different. Like, uh, throughout my whole career, like it's it's been. Let's be honest. Anybody at home that knows me, that's listening really well, knows that like it was very easy for me in a certain format. Like in Legacy, like I just I played the same deck for you know what almost ten years now at this point. It's not that I haven't registered other decks. I have like jokingly, but if I, especially for team events where like I'm not the only person who's worried about my win percentage. You know, like when I'm playing with Hugh and Britain, like it's a disservice to you guys to not play the deck that I'm going to win the most often with, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, I've told you, sometimes when we're doing team events locally, I just, like, would almost refuse to play Delver. I'd be like, look, I'll play anything else. Just let me have some fun. Let me play something else. And we'd still do well. You know, every now and then I'd still just play Delver. I'd be like, whatever, just play it. Also, like, the format here, like, where I'd play, sometimes is, like, really hostile to it. You know, I'd be, like, the only Delver player in the room, and then, like, it'd be, like, a lot of, like, mono-red stompy and stuff like that, where I'm just like, well... You know, all these games just end on, like, turn one or two, and it's, like, really dumb, and there's not a lot of play, and, like, you know, like, I genuinely want to play mirror matches. You know, that's where, like, my real edge would come in. Uh, Speaking of that, that's something that I might not have in Magic right now, is, you know, the edges that I used to have in the past. Like, I'm not as up-to-date on everything as, as I was, and so in the past, like, you could see with a lot of my deck selection that not only was I playing a strong, powerful, robust deck, but a lot of times I'm playing decks where, like, I want to make a lot of decisions, and I want my opponent to have to make a lot of decisions, because I believed that in longer games of Magic, I would make better decisions than my opponents on average. You know, obviously I'm not always the best player in the match that I, when I'm playing, but generally I believed that I was, and, like, way more than average, right? You know, that I was the, the best player of the two in the seat. So when that goes on, you want a game to have less variance in it, 
and you want the game to play out normally as possible because you're going to make one more slightly better decision than your opponent or one more slightly better play than your opponent, and you're going to really be able to capitalize on that. And you can see that with my deck choices. Depending on the format and my familiarity with it, sometimes you just go with something super linear and powerful, like when I played a lot of Tron in Modern. And it was like, yeah, look, there were other choices, but like this is the deck that I felt I played really well in the turns that matter with the decisions that mattered. Like I was like, you know, obviously I didn't play perfect. I've, I've, I've made mistakes on camera and stuff, but like in the mulliganing decisions and the sequencing decisions early in the game, I, I think I optimized about as well as you possibly can with that deck, which that's like 99% of playing that deck, right? At that point, like once you once you carn them, you can just start pointing at random cards. At that point, you're like, whatever, just kill something. Like you're dead, you know, kind of thing. But when it came to like, you know, it comes to picking decks, if I had to pick some today, like when I think of Pioneer, like I would just want to play one of the really powerful strategies. And to me, that's like one of the few decks, right? That's like mono, mono green, uh, red black, or I think I'm missing one. What else is like really good in is Pioneer? It right is it Phoenix? Yeah, one of those three I think are like the ones that are cut above. And for very specific reasons, the mono green deck has draws that are utterly absurd and unbeatable, especially if you don't interact with them. Like if you don't interact with them, they, they might just kill you on like, you know, turn three or four or five. Like you're just so far ahead, you can't keep up. Phoenix is, in my opinion, like, you know, with, with the mono green, it's like one of the most robust things you can be doing because it just, it has... The way in which you have to attack it is so ridiculous, and then the way you can play around those is so good. Plus, it has the most powerful cards in the format uh, with the Delve spells, which I think at some point in time will need to be addressed in that format because they're just so much more powerful than all the other cards yeah. in the game. As soon as we saw Consider, like I think that yeah. was pretty obvious to both of us. Like, this yeah. is going to fuck up some Delve spells. Yeah, because like... You know, they're playing five or six of them now, and they're not having problems getting this to go. You know, Ledger Shredder helping a ton here as well. Just another card that helps. Like, you know, you've had Consider and Ledger Shredder get printed in the last yeah. year. And, right? and Shredder not only fills the graveyard to, to you know, fuel Delve, it takes those hands where you, know, you say you drew three in the opening ten cards. You know, you kept a good seven with two of them and then drew a third one. You're like, ugh. But now you just Ledger Shredder on turn three, pitch one of them away, and it's a lot easier to find what you need to keep that hand smooth. Yeah, and it, it fixed a lot of the problems of the deck, too. Like, one of the problems of the deck would be, like, if they interacted with your graveyard or something, and then you, like, don't really have another threat, like, you're not really winning, and the game goes too long, and they find things to kill you with. Now you've got a two-mana threat that actually punishes them for playing too efficient magic, and then, like, also does a lot of card selection here. So, it, you know, it, it turns that corner. And then the black-red deck, I don't think it does anything remotely powerful. I, I don't know how to say it any other way. Like, I don't think anything that it does, I'm just like, yeah, that's really good and really powerful. But... Almost all of its cards are really good for its rate. It's just a really, really good mid-range deck that if it if it interacts enough, it eventually snowballs in its like in what it does. Like yeah. everything that it does in the game is either a card that directly stops you, like interacts with you, or it creates some form of value. You know, it leaves something back, you know, it gives you something extra, and all of its cards are worth just so much. I do feel like that is the deck that has probably the hardest time of the three winning games meaning you probably need to have played with this deck quite a bit understand its matchups and like don't mess up well i yeah, think that the it's the least forgiving for sure least forgiving well i think that phoenix is probably the most forgiving out of the three because you could just be like oops uh cast consider cast this other card find the exact card i need i'm not trying to say people are worse or whatever blah blah, blah. i'm just saying you have a, a better way of cr you know creating a comeback from a situation that you've gotten yourself into where it's bad where you have less of a chance in red black or even a lesser chance in red black and then a less of a chance in mono green where you have these robust powerful things you can just be doing and so yeah. 
that's kind of how I pick my decks. You know, besides the fact of, like, obviously there's other factors that you and I are very spoiled about that we don't have to think about, like card availability, et cetera, et cetera. I generally don't let... I think people get wrapped up in this too much, where they let, like, local meta decide their stuff. Like, one of the things I used to roll my eyes at the most is when, like, we'd have opens in Dallas, and people would be like, be ready to play against Burn. Like, be re- they, they, love, they love burning you in Texas. They love attacking you in Texas. I've, I've heard that for my entire career. Here's the thing. I've played all over this country. It's not different anywhere you go. Like, you and, might and see even a if small it is percentage. different, the difference is small. It's, like, it doesn't matter. You know, if, if it's 12% burn instead of 9%, like, that's yeah. not a huge difference. It's not, it's not like you're to, playing it yeah. one to two more times in a 15-round tournament. You know, that, that would be a 7 percentage point difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, so. it doesn't warrant me changing fundamental things about my deck or my deck choice. And then yeah. not only that, it's just like, you know, a lot of these times I had buys and I'd be in like the winter portion of the event and I'd be doing relatively well. So it's like, I expect to play against the good decks. Because like, here's the thing. If you think a deck's going to get overrepresented, but it's not good, you're not going to see it at a high percentage after the first couple of rounds. Yeah. I I would generally, you know, if, if I really thought that there was going to be, you know, that that kind of effect, and I, you know, I've, I heard the same thing for yours as well. The change I would make would be like turning a mystical dispute into a fluster storm. <laughs> that would be the kind of change that I would make. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to be a little bit worse against Murktide Region to yeah. be a little bit better against Burn because I think yeah. Burn is going to be a little bit more popular. And you know, but I'm not, you know, packing three copies of you know Dragon's Claw on my sideboard, uh, you know. So while I think like those things can have a kernel of truth in them, people often just overreacted to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and the same thing happens with, with local metagames. Yeah, I, I'm not overreacting to any of that. I I mostly want to be playing something that is powerful, proactive, and versatile. Those are the yeah. three things yes. I, I'm really looking at. Uh, you know, powerful both in terms of individual card quality and powerful. You know, of, of what I'm doing and uh, you know synergistically, I should say. Um, but I'm not opposed to playing decks that are sort of, you know, decks like Yawgmoth, I would describe that as sort of like, you know, uh, it's the, the stars and shitters, you know, the strategy people have in, in fantasy sports where they're like, they pay extra for the top couple guys in their auction and then they fill out with bottom of the barrel, uh, and hope, you know, those, the top people are enough to carry them. You know, that was what Mono Blue Devotion was. Like, you had to play main deck Tidebinder Mage that was often just a Grizzly Bear, but as a result, you got to play Thassa and Master of Waves. Uh, and, and in some matchups, it was broken. Yeah. <laughs> you know? In um, some matchups, it was dog shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and to a certain extent, you know, Elves and Legacy was like that. I think that was a little bit overstated because when I was playing it, you also had Deathrite Shaman, and, and it was great. And, you know, Wirewood Symbiote, Elvish Visionary were great together. But you had to play things like Query and Ranger mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, like, a, you know, Birchlaw Rangers. But as a result, you got to play Green Sun Zenith, which was virtually Demonic Tutor. Glimpse of Nature, which was a split card, you know, Thought Cast, Ancestral Recall, win the game for one mana. Uh, and and Gaia's Cradle, which was just a land that tapped for three. Yeah. You know, Mishra's Workshop. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you had really powerful payoffs. And that's not even getting to Natural Order. 
uh, that, you know, were really good. And as a result, you had to play some weaker individual cards. Like, I'm not opposed to doing that, which is why, you know, I like the Ogmoth deck because I think I'm pretty good at scraping out value. And, like, I would yes. be good at winning yes. those games with Strangleroot Geist and Young Wolf beatdowns. I 100% think of you when, like, you were, like, going through these decks and, like, what you should play. I was like, Yogmoth would be at the high end of the list. And I'd say, like, you should probably play this. I think you'd be really good at this because yeah. it's a giant math problem. And I don't just mean that because you like math. It's just like I always say that about those decks where it's like, I say it's a giant math problem. It's just a giant puzzle, I think is a good way to put it, where you're just trying to fix all the pieces together and win a game from there. And I've seen you play decks like that before and make decisions that like I was like, oh, I didn't even consider that or I didn't even think of that. And then two turns later, I'm like, uh, Josh, Ross is a genius and I'm an idiot. (laughs) A lot of those, a lot of playing those decks is, um, you know, learning what the hive mind thinks about them. And then knowing where the hive mind is wrong and exploiting it. So with elves for a long time uh, in Legacy, Heritage Druid was like the card everybody thought about because that was what you, that's the card that's like making all the mana, all the busted turns are you know as a result of Heritage Druid, and that was true when when Heritage Druid and Nettle Sentinel first you know, burst onto the scene and extended in two thousand eight when LSV won Pro Tour Berlin. And so for years, everybody thought like, oh, Heritage Druid, like that's the, that's the busted card. And people would like go out of their way to kill Heritage Druid in Legacy Elves in, in 2014. They've, they've since learned. But for a very long time, they did that. And you're like, you just exploited it by like exposing Heritage Druid when you thought they had a removal spell. And that like allowed your Wirewood Symbiote and, you know, Elvish Visionary to resolve. And then you just draw a bunch of cards and the fact that you didn't have the Druid like didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, so like things like that. And, you know, obviously like with Yawgmoth, it, it's a little bit more straightforward where they're just like, you have to kill the Yawgmoth. Um, but you can exploit that in certain ways by like, you know, you know, recognizing when they're holding up that unholy heat mana, um, uh, or like sniffing out solitude and just like kind of waiting on it and, and dealing them a bunch of damage and trying to set up a battlefield so that you can still draw a bunch of cards with Yawgmoth, you know, two turns down the road because you've developed a bigger battlefield uh, and you're able to respond to their removal spell with more activations and just generate that, you know, the amount of value uh, that you need to, to power through their interaction. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a deck that that's on my radar for sure. You just made me think of something from a million years ago where you were like, you know, Yawgmoth, you kill the Yawgmoth. Where I remember the, the first event that I ever played Legacy in, it was a uh, an Invitational. And I'd like literally never played Legacy before, and I, you know, I brought Delver. I was playing Team or Delver back in the day, or Canadian Threshold, as the gentleman would call it. And uh, I remember talking to my buddy, and he, I was like, yeah, I'm a little worried about this format. And he's like, ah, you'll be fine. Like, what are you mostly worried about? Like, not playing well? I'm like, yeah, whatever. But like, I was worried about like counterspelling the wrong card and just being really embarrassed. You know, like, you know, like, what, because I don't know what to force of will against some of these decks. And he goes, he goes, I'll give you a, a pretty tight rule. I'm like, what is that? He goes, if the deck is named after the card, counterspell it. <laughs> He's like, interact with that card. I'm amulet like, yeah, Titan. So like, interact with Amulet and Primeval Titan, you know. Golgari, yeah, Yawgmoth. Yeah, probably want to counter Yawgmoth and cards yeah. that put Yawgmoth onto the battlefield. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good rule. But uh, t- to me, the, the Breach deck, you know, Breach is similar to Yawgmoth, where you can play it when you know it's not going to win the game, but it's going to draw three, four, five cards, and that's fine. Use that to power through their interaction. Um, and uh, you also have a bit of an aggro plan, but the Breach deck has more interaction of its own. You know, the, the Yawgmoth deck has Grist and maybe a main deck Endurance, and then you have, you know, whatever is in your sideboard. Yeah, you know, I've got Unholy Heats, 
You're, I'm going to play one bolt in my list. I'm still thinking about main deck spell pierce or not. You have engineered explosives and other cards are tutoring for off of Urza Saga. Counter spells on the sideboard. Uh, Teferi Time Raveler. That's another sideboard card. Uh, and, you know, recurring different artifacts with Emery as, you know, ways to reasonably interact with the opponent. So I think you have that, that extra bit of versatility, and that's what put me towards the breach range, where I'm, I'm going to take the risk uh, and play the, the less heralded deck. But uh, you do open yourself up a little bit more to the graveyard. You know, Yawgmoth does use the graveyard a little bit, but it's kind of hard to tag the undying creatures. <laughs> um, and it, you, know, you, you basically only get one at a time, whereas you, you know, that one-off uh, you know, Torment's Crypt-style effect is going to be you know, much more effective against Underworld Breach and, and things like that. And, and there are still ways to play through that with Breach, don't get me wrong, but uh, there, you, you open yourself up a little bit more to things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do want to take a second and talk about our sponsor, make sure we mention them every episode, and that's uh, <laughs> almost an MTG rant. Barrister and Man. Uh, I, it made me think about it, the, the, the code has changed, which I'll get to it in just a second. So I was looking at it, and I was trying to read and make, make sure I say this. But uh, for everybody at home that wants to check them out, uh, it's barristerandman.com. Lots of all your like wet shaving needs, uh, anything like that. Lots of soaps. I'm actually about to open a new soap, Ross, in the next day or two. So I don't know if you actually get excited about that. Cause, oh, yeah. um, so the way that I do it is I have like a drawer in my uh, in what's in my kitchen. What is wrong with me today? In my bathroom, right? In, in my, and I have a drawer in there where like all the stuff's in there. But I've put the soaps all next to each other and at an angle where like I can't see the name of the soap. So it's just grab back. Yeah, so I just grab it and I'll try to open it without doing it, and then I'll go take a shower and like use the soap. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of great, and see if I can kind of guess. You know what I mean? It's like it's like when you do wine tasting, which I've never actually done. You know, I, I yeah. Do I do I detect a, a hint of soil? It's like yes, it was growing to the ground. You know, like, yes. ever, like bubble, bubble. I detect detect a, a you know strong scent of stone fruits and a little burnt cedar in the finish. Yeah, it's, it's like very earthy. Hints of oak. Yeah. And there's going to be a little bit change to the to the code, like I said in the in the future. So, it's it looks like it is all capitals. It's MTG Rants. That's plural. So MTG R A N T S fifteen, and that will give you fifteen percent off. But it's only going to be for your first order. It seems like the stuff in the future. So make sure that you check that out. If it if it's it, oh by the way, this is really cool. This does let you go double up. If you've already ordered something from them, and you use the MTG Rants fifteen code, the new one that's MTG Rants all capitals fifteen. It should be good for another discount for you, so you do get to use it again if yeah, you've already if you're a done a customer. different. Yeah, if you're a returning customer and stuff like that. So, a cool announcement as well. I think we kind of alluded to this. They just shipped out their first major export to uh, Europe as well. So it's in transit, but it'll make uh, landfall in a couple weeks. And once it does, Barrister Man products will be showing up your wet shaving and men retailers all across the EU and the UK. So we've got some listeners over there. I've heard some people talk about, you know, do they ship over here? Yes. And you will see some of their stuff. And I've heard some other tidbits. I've heard some other tidbits that I'm not going to share with the people, but it might be announced soon. So, hey, man, Barrister, man, is making some moves. And I can see why. Their products are great. I'm a big fan. You should check it out. Get your 15% off. And like I said, uh, a lot of holidays coming up the next three or four months. Go yeah. ahead and just get some of your shopping out of the way now. I got I got to re up soon. I'm running low. Yeah, he uh, he actually messaged me the other day. He's like, what do you what do you want? And I was like, look, I'm never going to say no to soaps. I'm good on the on the shaving stuff because like I just don't shave every single day, so I can't get through the stuff fast enough. So like I have like you know like a like a girl like a uh, a backup. Uh, yeah. I do like so the hand soaps. They now send them in the little bottles that have the the, the, the nozzle pop. at the top. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm a big fan of that to where I don't have to like, you know, open it and do it cuz like, you know, right if your hands are done, I don't like want my wet hand trying to yeah, close limit a contact. Yeah, I want to limit contact. So like that's great for me, so I might get some more of that. I'm definitely getting their towel. They have a towel that they have with it that's like actually relatively cheap. Like a hand towel? Uh, I think it is. Let me look it up real quick on their uh, website. What, what website is that again? That is barristerandman.com. Two ends. Man with two ends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I had to I had to bring it up. Uh, two ends. I accidentally used Yahoo and not Google. I'm the worst. <laughs> Go to Google. Uh, yeah, give me a second here for this. I want to see the dimensions on the towel is the big thing for me. So let me find it here. It looks like they're actually mm, maybe sold out. Oh, no. So yeah, it looks like a hand towel actually. It looks like it's it's pretty decently sized. I don't have the actual dimensions on it, nice. but but they're it, they're saying it's very thick and soft, and it has um it has like some embroidery on it, which is really nice and stuff too. So uh, maybe it'll be restocked as as soon as possible. But this looks awesome. It's also 100% cotton, so I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of that as well. So make sure you check them out. It's bearsdurandman.com. Again, that code is MTGRANTS in all capitals, 15 for 15% off your first order. So make sure you check them out. Ross, we had a couple uh, mailbag questions this week that I thought were really good. Do you want to move on to that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first one was from Boom Boom Zoom. Nice, nice name. Uh, what's a new, I'm sorry, when a new set comes out and you are analyzing cards for format, what are the metrics that you use to rate cards for format viability? Um, we take a little bit of a stab at this first. I've kind of already got my answer, so. Yeah, I often am not, not you know, as always, just looking to rate cards. I know we do that for our to- our top eight list, right. but that's such a you know grab bag of a thing. That's more more for funsies than anything else. Oftentimes, it gives a, stru- what, it gives a structure for an episode. Yeah, you know I mean? when I when yeah. I'm when I'm reading new cards, the thing I'm immediately thinking about and most often thinking about is what is the context in which this card is good. And that, that's a, a wider ranging question than it appears on the surface. It's not just, you know, is this a card that goes in control decks? Is this a card that goes in, you know, aggro decks? It's also like, what role is it playing in those decks? Is right. this more of a sideboard card? What matchups is it a good sideboard card in? Is this a card that is going to be a staple of those kinds of archetypes? Should they show up? What else does, you know, if it's a card that goes in a very specific archetype, what else does that archetype need? To, to survive, yeah. to thrive. Uh, so what else am I looking at to pair this card with? Or, you know, if this is a role player in a certain deck, you know, what, maybe it's a certain metagame that I think it's going to be good in uh, and, and things like that. So I'm asking myself lots of small questions like that. And then I'm, you know, so I have this sort of dossier on the card after I evaluate it. And then when I'm thinking about building decks for a given tournament, I can go back and say, oh, you know, actually the conditions are right for this card that hasn't been seeing play. This is one that I might want to try. Uh, so, you know, I'll often have an idea of just based off of instinct, usually previous comparison. If I think a card is, you know, at the power level that of, of a given format, you know, right now, like, you know, in Pioneer, like some one mana two ones are playable and some aren't. So you've got to be towards the high end of that spectrum. You know, Blood, Blood Soak Champion is good. Tormented Hero is unplayable kind of thing. So you have a bit of a line there, um, uh, just as, as a small example. But that's often not what, you know, what I'm thinking about, because there are cards that, you know, wouldn't really meet that criteria on their own, but end up being part of the format, 
you know, you can think of cards that are like Karn Wish Targets. So Meteor Golem is not a card that would ever show up in anyone's main deck in Pioneer. Yeah. But it shows up in a lot of sideboards because it, it does a very a specific yeah. thing that Karn wants to wish for. Um, so I'm often more focused on the latter, like what what are the conditions that makes this card good versus making a determination of whether a card is good or bad. Yeah, for me, it's like, there's a couple of different things, right? There's like a, a different scale of cards. And this is a very general way of putting this. You have the cards that are like so obviously powerful, they're just going to force their way into any deck that can cast them. You know, recently I think of, you know, Expressive Iteration. Like if you remember that episode where we did our top eight, you know, you had it on your list and I had it as my like easy slam dunk number one. Because uh, you're like, oh, you think it's going to be that good in Standard and possibly Pioneer? I was like, I think it's going to get played in every format ever. I think it's obscenely good, and I don't think people are realizing how powerful this card actually is and how good it's going to be. And then, you know, uh, on that same level of power, like, there's the cards that are, like, obviously very good and going to find their ways in, are cards that are, like, build-around-me cards. And this is more for, like, Pioneer Standard, you know, like, it's kind of hard for a new card to come out and be like, well, Modern's going to build a deck around this, or Legacy's going to build a deck yeah. around this without being so obviously Unless powerful. It's, it's ridiculous. trickery. Yeah, you know, just whatever, something random, some random niche thing. But there's stuff like that, right? But then it goes down to, like, what you're talking about, right? It goes down to the cards that are, like, and I find that this is the hardest ones to analyze and be good at, and that I found that I, I, I actually found out I was really good at this overall. Not always perfectly, but, like, finding the filler. You know, the cards that are just going to make it into decks. You yeah, know, those kinds of things. The, the role players, yeah, like, the, the little things in between. And... Those are hard because, like, it, the most important things, like what you mentioned here, does this like fill a role? Is there a need for this card? You know, I think about it when we, um, whatever set it was, uh, the Kamigawa set was it, uh, Kamano faces Kazakhstan or whatever the uh, yeah, the, the one drop, yeah. That like I didn't see anyone else talking about, and I was like, I, I I think this card is very good. And like, if if there is a red deck, like this is the exact card this deck wants. You know, yeah. Like this is just a very very good card. And cards like that that aren't like. They don't blow you away on paper, but are very, very good and stuff like that. So, like, that's the difficult thing is, like, yeah, this card looks good. The effect looks sweet, but does it fill a role? You know, we talked about Strangle quite a bit. I think this is a very good example. It's a card that, meh, when you look at it. You know, it's like an okay limited card, but it fills a decent role in Pioneer for a while. And, like, that's why you're seeing, you know, we talked about a couple decks playing one or two of them, and you're seeing Phoenix and, like, Black Red and stuff play one or two of these because it is a one-mana answer that deals three damage to a creature and we've seen the format play around shock quite a bit because there's so many shock variants in a lot of the decks that this is a very just clean answer to it. But the fact that it's a sorcery and stuff kind of limits the the upper echelon of that card. For a format to want four strangle, you'd have to have a very very strange format, you know, going back and forth. And so there was just uh, there was just there's just so much there. And I think this is a really really good question because especially for a lot of y'all, I know that you know you try to get your cards as quick as possible when they first come out because a you know card availability is a thing, and then like. If it's a card that's going to go up in price, you kind of want to get it at its low point, right? You want to get it like pre. I mean, like, how many of us remember pre-ordering Ledger Shredder when it was like a dollar or like fifty cents, and now it's a twenty-dollar bill or whatever it is? I don't. I'm not up to date on MTG Finance on this card, but you get what I'm saying. Little cards like that, because there's been a few cards like that in the last few years. And if you, if you're in there on the ground floor, I don't even mean people in here. Hey, I bought sixty copies of it. It went up three hundred percent. I'm rich. I just mean like, hey, I got my I got my copies at this. I see those comments so often. So glad I got in early on this card and got my copies and stuff. So, you know, be on the lookout for stuff like that. It, it, it takes a little bit of imagination and skill to it. And I'm not saying, you know, no one can do it or everyone can do it or not everyone can do it. But there's a good bit there. And uh, luckily, we try to help you out as much as we can with this on the, on the show. Yeah. 
I will say, uh, you know, there is something I do when I'm just trying to evaluate the raw power of a card. Um, and I actually wrote an article about this many years ago that no one read. Uh, and it, it was, the article was titled like, you know, like a three pronged approach to card evaluation. There was something about three, uh, because it, it, there were sort of three main points because you, you always, you know, when, when during preview season, you hear the people that are, you know, really high in a card will talk about it and re- everything they say is focusing on the card when it's at its best, right? It's always, you know, your planeswalker always lives and you get like, you got to untap with it or like, you know, you're, you know, you, you always get to untap with your emery. They never consider the fact that like sometimes you pay three mana for it and your opponent shocks it and, you know, you fall behind. And then the people that are on the other side of it that only consider that worst case scenario. So you've got to consider both. Then you have to consider, uh, and this is the third part, is, you know, there is sort of a threshold of, you know, how often I'm hitting the high end of the card versus the low end to make the card viable. So you have to consider how much work do I have to put in to realize the high end at a, you know, large enough consistency to make the card good. And sometimes there are cards that demand you put in a lot of work, and, and those can still be good. Yawgmoth would be an example of that card. It demands a ton in your deck building. The entire deck is built around this one card. But it is so powerful, and the high end of it is so good. The high end is literally win the game. That you, you know, you 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 can get away with building your entire deck around it, playing a bunch of underpowered individual cards like the Undying Creatures, and still have a viable deck in a powerful format like Modern. You know, a card like Ragavan demands virtually nothing of you. You basically need to have some cheap removal to get it through. That's it. And most decks want to have some removal in them anyway, especially cheap removal. Um so obviously, Ragavan is the kind of card that is going to jump off the page uh, because it demands so little of you. Some of the, the cards that, oftentimes, the cards that take a while are the more build around ones where you have to find the, the you know the right shell around it. Uh, that said, like you know, Ledger Shredder also doesn't demand a lot of you, um, and uh, you know, Tarmogoyf is a similar that you one. Play the game. Yeah, like that, so Tarmogoyf is a similar card to, to Ledger Shredder, actually, where it wasn't very heralded during the future site, you know, pre-release. They were selling for like four or five dollars when the set was released. And then regionals happened, uh, that May or June. And it, you know, it took standard by storm, took legacy by storm pretty quickly. And, and all of a sudden the card was fifty dollars and it kept going up from there. Um, but, but you know, Tarmogoyf and Ledger Shredder can both be somewhat hard to evaluate because the immediate thought is, oh, I need to put in a lot of work. And in the early days with Tarmogoyf, everyone was putting things like Chromatic Star into their decks to like get the artifact. And you've seen it even since then with people putting Tarfire into their decks. And sometimes that can be okay. If the metagame is fine for a card like Tarfire, you know, you can get away with that. But you actually don't need to because it was. It turns out in formats with fetch lands, it was very easy to get Tarmogoyf to a two-mana 4-5. Right, that that's the usual suspects of Tarmogoyf is land, instant creature, sorcery. Everyone's playing those four types. It was pretty easy to get it there, and two mana four or five for many years was was a great rate. Um, and, and so the reality was, you actually didn't have to put in a lot of work to get the card to being excellent. Um, and Ledger Shredder is very similar. Like you know, decks with cantrips, those cantrips are fine cards. Mishra's Bobble is a good card. You know, playing more cheap cards in your deck is generally a good thing to do. So Ledger Shredder isn't so much as like forcing you to do this. It's just like, 
you know, giving you that extra nudge to build your deck better, to, to get rid of the temptation of adding clunky three and four mana cards to your deck uh, and, and doing something powerful for it. So uh, those cards that, you know, like Goyfa and, and Shredder that kind of look like they demand a lot of work, but in reality don't, those are the ones that often sneak, you know, sneak uh, under the radar and both of those are, are historical examples of it happening so uh, i think you know trying to think in that way where you know how much work do i have to put in to make this card good uh and ultimately like you know you don't want to have to put in that much work because that gives you more versatility it gives you more options in building your deck and those are good uh you know those are the kinds of cards you want to look for um and then that you know the exception is cards that have such a overwhelming high end like yogmoth uh, you know, Primeval Titan is kind of another example of that. You know, Amulet Titan is basically built around getting Primeval Titan onto the battlefield as quickly as possible and then figuring out what to do with it. Um, and so, you know, Primeval Titan, you know, very, very powerful card, you know, that has a high enough uh, best case scenario or a good enough best case scenario that you're happy to put in the work to get there. And then, you know, there are cards that, you know, where that equation doesn't come out, you know, I, you know, cards that, yeah, like they do have that high end and you can, you can build a somewhat workable deck around them. Like maybe like paradox engine would be a good example. Those decks haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, you know, you have to build like the entire deck around it. It does some really powerful things sometimes when it goes off, but it doesn't do them consistently enough. And maybe over time that they'll add a piece here, add a piece there, and it'll finally get put over the top. You know, it'll, re- it'll reach that level of consistency it needs to, um, and then the card will, you know, shoot up in value. Uh, so, you know, watch out, you know, for, th- for things like that, the card that often puts it over the top, because sometimes it's not the key card that is the last card printed to make the deck viable. It's some enabler that d- d- turns it all on. Uh, you know, I think a good example to that would be in, with modern dredge, you know, Golgari Grave Troll was legal for like six months before prized amalgam was printed. And amalgam, I think, was the card that really put dredge over the top. But it was far from the best card in the deck. Those cards just needed a little bit more help to make the deck consistent and powerful enough and explosive enough to be a force in modern. Um, so you, you can look for those cards too that like put some really powerful engine cards over the top in terms of completing the deck. Yeah, I want to make sure we get to this last question because this one's going to be uh, fun. And I want to make <laughs> sure we get a little bit of time for it. This one's from Revan Christ. He says, since you liked the food question, because he asked a really good food question, uh, what are some funny stories of things that happened while on a magic trip that doesn't directly involve magic? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say a quick one, real, real quick, and then we can go back and forth. Uh, this is gonna be calling out Brendan Decandio quite a bit. So uh, yeah, I, I figured uh, that would happen. Yeah, I, I love making fun of Decandio and how bad he was at the actual travel. Like, yeah, one of the probably at, at his time at the height of his powers, he was like the best player on the SCG tour, but he might have been dead last in actual travel ability. Like, you know, that was like a you know if he <laughs> just, had like a Madden card, he'd be a zero. Taking care of the logistics of travel, yeah, he'd be an actual zero. And so um, there's one time where I was going to be driving to SCG Dallas and Brennan's like, hey, I'm going to fly to, you know, you hang out for a few days, like, you know, stayed at my house, hung out with a dog and stuff. And, uh, you know, before you had a kid and stuff, obviously. And he's like, then we'll drive up and stuff together. So it's like, cool, you know, I'll pick you up from the, the whatever. So his flight home was like, let's say it was Monday at 1 p.m. out of New Orleans or whatever, right? You know, we get home Sunday night or whatever. And Monday, I, like, wake him up in the morning, and uh, he was, like, really worried. He was like, yeah, yeah, we need to make sure that we get there, like, super early. And I'm like, dude, it's, like, Monday at 1 p.m. You can show up, like, 30 minutes before your flight, and you'll make it. You know, it's this is my, you know, airport. You'll be fine, but I'll get you there an hour ahead of time. Don't worry about it. I'll get you there for noon or whatever, you know, whatever it is. 
And he just kept being like so worried and so worried. And I was like, I don't understand why he's so worried, you know, because like we ran into a tiny bit of traffic and it was falling a little behind. But remember, I got him there. It was like 57 minutes before his flight or something. It was like literally like just over the hour, right? And he was just so worried. And so I leave and I'm like, I'm like leaving New Orleans and he starts texting me. He's like, yeah, man, I told you there's going to be a problem. Like, what? Is there like a super long line? He's like, no, I'm already like, you know, like there's no line or whatever, but like they won't let me get on the plane or whatever. And I'm just like, why won't they let you on the plane, you know, Brandon? And he's like, well, you know, you're not allowed to check in after, you know, under an hour from your flight. So like, I can't check in. And I'm just like, why didn't you check in for your flight? And he's like, what do you mean? Like, you know, you have to like get to the airport and check in. He like, I don't know if he thought it or just like wouldn't do it, but he, he thought you had to physically check in before your flight. And I'm like, Brendan, you can check in an, a day before your flight by just answering the email they send you. Yeah. Like, you know, you literally just click a button on your phone. And so like, like I would have felt bad in normal instances of somebody like missing their flight, especially if it was like somehow my fault. But in this instance, I felt literal like zero remorse or, or <laughs> I felt literal like, in fact, I was like aggravated. You know, he's like, all right, I, I got a flight like a few hours from now or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool. Do you like need me to come back? He's like, no. And I was just like, this is all on you, buddy. Like, it's not my fault that you don't know how to adult, you know, like kind of thing. Yeah. Like, maybe that's me being too coarse or whatever. But like, you know, this was like the seventh time he had a travel thing with us. And I was just like, you just need to, you need to grow up when it comes to this exact interaction. <laughs> maybe that was too harsh and not funny, but it was just funny to me that I was just like, did you not know that you could like check in yeah. any other way? Oh, or, no. Like, you can't be too harsh with Brennan. It's fine. So I have a, I have another travel story. This was actually my first Pro Tour. This is Pro Tour Paris 2011, the Callblade Pro Tour. And uh, a friend of mine, Brian, actually came with me, even though he wasn't qualified. He just like wanted to go to Paris. I thought that happened. Had yeah, money. I thought that happened. Yeah. And uh, and Monday morning after the week after the whole weekend, uh, this was like when they were trying out Magic Weekend. There was a Grand Prix that weekend too. The Pro Tour started on a Thursday. Like it, it was a whole thing. So we play Magic for four straight days, and then Monday, we have a, a flight in the evening. So we have the day in Monday. Um, unrelatedly, th th this was actually Valentine's Day, so we were in Paris on Valentine's Day that year. Um, we went to the Eiffel Tower in the morning, and then we went to the Louvre. And, and Brian was not particularly interested in many of the things in the Louvre where I was. So I'm, I'm literally like at a light jog trying to see as much as I can see because I know I can't see the entire thing. It's gigantic. You know, you could go every day for a year and not see everything, but I'm trying to see, um, I'm more interested in the history wings of it than the fine art. Um, though we did see some of the fine art. Uh, the Mona Lisa sucks. Um, the, whatever painting <laughs> is across from the Mona Lisa is awesome. It's like huge. Uh, but it was awesome that, you know, even, uh, you know, uh, disregarding its size, but you know we're in the Louvre for like hours, uh, and uh, we we had come up with like you know around the time we thought we needed to leave to get to the airport in time. We're taking the the subway to the airport. This is 2011. Neither of us paid for like an international plan, so we don't have working phones. I didn't even have a smartphone at the time. Um, so uh, you know we're 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 doing this like you know freestyle. We had figured out the subway system pretty well. Obviously, like it's it's pretty easy to figure out where the airport is in the subway system, like you know, uh, and, and it was it was off to the side or off to the outskirts of the city, and uh, so we 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 finish up the Louvre, and we uh, we stop for some lunch, and uh, then Brian wants to get a bottle of wine for his mom. He gets the bottle of wine, and then we get on the on the subway, 
as we're getting to the airport, we realize that there there's two stops for different terminals, and our airline is listed on both of them. So we're not sure which one to get off on. And so we just like make a decision, and we get there, we're walking around, and we don't find our flight to check in and realize we've got to go to the other one. So now we've got to get back onto, onto the subway and then go to the other stop. We do that. We get into the airport. Uh, we go to start trying to check in. And for whatever, I, it was one of our passports the machine like wouldn't read uh, because we're just at like a kiosk. And we're, we're sitting there for a while. Eventually, we have to like go to the desk to get them to you know check our passport, and we're fine. Uh, so we're you know, we're checked in, and now we're like we're at about we, we've given ourselves a lot of leeway, but the stuff that's happened now has put us to about an average amount of time. Like we're getting there, and we're still fine, um, but you know we don't have any more leeway at this point. And now Brian's like, okay, like before we get go to check in, I got to put this bottle of wine in my checked bag. Right, I th- think it'll be safer there, and he's gonna like you know pack it in a way that hopefully it'll be fine. Um, but he wanted to put it in the checked bag, and I'm like, okay. And he starts rifling through his checked bag to try to find like a you know a nice nestled spot for this bottle of wine, and he at one point he like recoils and goes like fuck, and I just see blood coming from one of his hands. He had like quickly tried to move some stuff out of the way, and he had all his toiletries in like a Ziploc bag. And his razor, he cut himself on his razor. And so now he is bleeding, not like profusely, but he needs to do something about it. Uh, Like he's not going to die, but he's bleeding on things. So he hastily gets it all packed up. And there's like nothing in the lobby of the airport for him to go to. There's no like Hudson newsstand in the Charles de Gaulle airport. And so we got, he had like some napkins, I think, or something that he just like, put around the the wound and uh, we're like, okay, let's just get through the security line and then you can like go in and and find some like band-aids or something in the terminal. And so we go through security and he, you know, he's bleeding. So that looks weird already. And they, so we get some weird looks, but we're like, whatever, we're Americans. They know we're weird. And, uh, and we get through security. And so I take all the bags and go to our gate. He knows which gate it is, and I'm like, make sure we're fine there. And he goes off to get some Band-Aids. So now I'm at the gate. I'm perfectly fine. And about, you know, half an hour after I get there, they start calling to board. And and Brian has still not come back. And I'm like, how does it take that long to, like, find some Band-Aids and walk to this, you know? There there was, like, a whole area with shops and, and whatever. Should have been able to find something. And... I'm like, okay, like, well, I, there's going to be another, like, 30, it's a, you know, it's an international flight, so it's a big flight. Boarding's going to take 30, 40 minutes at least. Uh, so we've still got some time, but we were like, you know, it goes on, it goes on. They're calling, like, I'm past the point where they've, like, called our row, and I'm still waiting. And we got to the point where I was getting worried that, like, I was going to have to, leave, like, get on the flight. And I, like, I can't get on the flight with all of our bags. So I start, like, t- trying to talk to the people at the at the gate. And I asked them, like, you know, these are my friend's bags. I, I can't call him right now because I don't have a working phone. But, like, he's in the airport. And, like, you know, what happens if I get on the flight and these bags are here? And they're the only thing they tell me is if the bags are left, it's, a, like, an 800-euro fine from the police. That's And that I'm trying to explain the situation, hoping that, like, but something's not getting across. I don't understand. Some sympathy might happen. Yeah. Or like I like they spoke English. So I'm like, I don't know what's not translating here that like, you know, uh, 
Yeah, and I thought, and so I, I'm like worried, and literally like we had like five minutes before I was going to have to make the decision as to whether to get on the plane when Brian finally t- turned the corner and got there. Um, but it's just a, a long series of like just odd trials and tribulations where like they can't scan our passport. We you know, like pit, you know had a 50-50 choice on which terminal to get off on. And, like, we're in a subway car. We, uh, you know, there's not, like, a conductor there that we could talk to that would know what they're talking about. Um, and then, like, him just cutting himself on his own razor. Uh, so that was weird. Um, I had another story lined up, too. Oh. Uh, try, try to remember, because I can't, I can't think of one right now for some reason. I know there's been a bunch. Yeah. Uh, Pro Tour San Diego 2013. This was the RTR block Pro Tour that Craig Wesco won. Uh, so this was back in the day when there would usually be an organized, uh, you know, spot for everybody to go to where there was some karaoke. And this is the, the last time I did, you know, karaoke in a big group after a pro tour. This was sat- this was actually this was actually Sunday night. So uh, Wesco ended up showing up like with the trophy. It was fun. And uh, somebody had picked out a spot uh, in San Diego. We all descend on it. I got there a little bit early. And this bar, the, the karaoke was off to one side, the bar was in the middle, and behind the bar there was a pool table. So we just started shooting some pool. Um, and, you know, just a bunch of Magic players, and, uh, you know, more people start to show up, we're playing. And at one point, two randoms just show up and, like, put their quarters on the table, and they're like, we got next. And I know that it ends up being me and some, I can't even remember who I was playing with, but me and, so, and someone else are playing them. And we know that if we lose and it ends up being randoms, like no magic players are playing at that table for the rest of the night. And, but if we win, it'll, it'll probably continue to be like, we'll have free reign of that area of the bar, right? So we're basically playing for the table. And it's a close game. And we get down to, uh, we get down to the eight ball. We're just playing doubles eight ball. Um, and, uh, uh, they scratch and I've got to take a shot from the kitchen where I've got to cross that lot, the, the second dot on the table before I make contact with the ball. But the eight ball is all the way at that end of the table. It's like in that corner. So I've got to somehow like work my, the cue ball all the way back. And I line up the cue like next to the eight ball. And, you know, my plan was just bank it, you know, go all, you know, run the length of the table, bank it and run it back. Um, and I'm like a reasonable pool player, but I'm not a you know competitive pool player by any means. But I converted this shot, and it's probably the best shot I've ever hit in my entire life. Uh, and then we got to play pool for the rest of the night, so that was fun. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of one that's like a that's a good story that's like actually funny too, or whatever. It's like you know interesting. And you ever heard these like where you're trying to think of something and you like feel the pressure and you just like draw a blank. Also, a lot of these stories are like they were funny in the moment because we're like mm-hmm. delirious from the weekend of travelers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you you got to know the people. Um, um, so it's hard to find ones that are like universally funny. I have a few where like I thought I, there's the one where I thought I was getting punked. Like I literally legit, legit thought I was getting punked. So um, there was a invitational one year that was going on in Roanoke, and it's the one where like the huge snowstorm hit. Yep. And do you remember me on day two, like trying to figure out a way home? Yeah. Because I needed, I needed to be home, and like I was gonna be stuck there till like Wednesday if I didn't get out before oh, the yeah. snowstorm or something like that. So I was like trying to figure everything out. I remember it was pretty great because um, uh, there's a judge named Meg, and uh, she knows that uh, I have a hearing problem. So Meg Rickman. Yeah. Yeah. She's like a head judge yeah, for a lot great. of the big stuff. She, she's great. And this it actually worked out because 
she knew that I was on the phone with the the airlines and like, you know, it's a long thing. I'm like on the phone the entire in between a round and my round came up and I asked her, I was like, how long do I have? Like, how long can I, can you stall for me at the beginning? Like, not stall, but how long do I have into a match that you can give me an extension to finish this phone call? And she was like, I can, you know, you can have 10 minutes after that. Like, we just can't do anything else for you. So I'm like, okay. And so like, I had to go over to the corner so I could like hear well, but the best part was like, I could, I was in line of sight to her. And so we could we could talk across the room because she knows sign language or knows enough sign language that she, you know she's like are you almost done and I'd be like you know five minutes like please please give me five you know like you know like I'm I'm talking to an actual human you know like blah blah, blah. And she's like okay and stuff and so that goes on and I find a ride out of I can't remember the city uh, it was like in another state they're like look if you can get here we can get you home like tonight or the next or tomorrow or something like that yeah, it was somewhere so, in North Carolina I think it was somewhere in North Carolina and then you're gonna fly so, out of Charlotte. Yeah, that's what it was, and something like that. And so uh, I was like, "All right, cool. Switch my seats to that, and I'll just figure it out." So I put it on Twitter. I'm like, "Is anybody going through Charlotte tonight? I need a ride. Otherwise, like, I can't get home." And uh, the judge, uh, Nick Saban, uh, you know, from from yeah. that area, he's like, "Hey, like, just jump in my car." And I was like, "Cool." So this is you know after day two or whatever. And so I jump in his car. We drive the three hours. I have to book a hotel that's close to the airport that has a shuttle for the morning. And I remember they were like, look, your flight leaves at like 8 a.m. or something like that. The the heavy stuff's supposed to hit at like 8.30 or 9. So like you'll you'll be one of the few flights that gets out. So I wake up in the morning, immediately look out the window, and I can't even see the roads. This, the snow has already hit. So I'm a little worried, but they're like, no, your flight is still going off. You know, it's heated out there. They're, they're still having stuff going in. So the... Uh, <clears throat> there's a uh, like a little shuttle at the airport, and they're like, "Look, we're still going to shuttle you." I don't know how they like drove us there. You literally could not see the roads, but apparently they're just used to this. There, like I'm worried. But here's where it gets weird. So I go to get in the car, and remember, we're in another state away from the event. The event is still going on, right? And so we start to get into the bus, and I am the only person sub forty, probably the only person sub fifty on this bus, right? And I might have been the only male. I don't remember. It was just a bunch of females or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I'm in normal civilian clothing. Like, I'm not wearing anything from, you know, the event. I don't have my jacket on, like, my uh, BCW jacket or anything like that on. I'm literally in just, like, normal clothing and stuff. And um, this lady who has to be in her 50s, right? Probably 40s or 50s, right? Just older than me. Like, looks at me and then, like, looks at me again. You know, you know, when someone looks at you and, like, you can tell their, like, brain is working. They're, like, yeah. thinking, you know? And I'm just like, hi, or whatever. It's like early in the morning. And she's like, are you Tan and Grace? And I start, I'm just like, I kind of look around for a second. I'm like, yes. And she's like, oh, I'm a fan of yours. And I just like, and we're in, like, a little, like, when I say a shuttle, it was pretty much just like a big van. And so, like, everybody kind of, like, stops and, like, turns because she just said she's a fan of mine. And obviously, we don't know each other. And so, like, I start looking around thinking there's another magic player somewhere that just like paid this lady to like embarrass me or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting punked or something. Right. And so eventually it just gets a point like she's like, no, she just plays magic. Was a, was a, was a fan of mine, like watches the SCG tour or something like that. And so like, we're just chatting in the car and like somebody else asks a question. They're like, wait, so you, you just play games for a living. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's a simplistic way of putting it, but yes, you know, like blah, 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 you know, or whatever. And you know, making it to the airport, we're like one of two flights or whatever that makes it out that day because it's like literally snowing and it, they had enough heat on the planes landing and getting out that they could get in and out at the time or whatever. And I just remember like being like, this was so surreal. And I thought it was funny that like I got recognized in this situation 
by this person. And like, I, I forgot her at, but she follows me on Twitter and I assume she still follows me on Twitter. And like every now and then I'll see that she like likes one of my tweets or whatever. I'm just like, Hey, it's that, it's that person. I think she lives in like Boston or so she lives somewhere up in the, the, the Northeast. Cause I think she was like flying to Philly or flying to Boston or something, you know, and I was flying back this way. Also, that trip was unreal. I was traveling for like over 24 hours because I had to fly from like Charlotte we're at to, to Dallas. And when we get to Dallas, I didn't even have a ticket. I was on standby for a flight to come back home. And I get there and I'm like, all right, this won't be that bad. They're like, yeah, you know, usually standby is not that bad. But then I get there and the Dallas airport is a shit show. Because, like, there's, you know, weather going on everywhere. So everything's getting rerouted and there's just a million people. So I show up to where it is and I'm trying to get on the on the plane and like I talk to the lady at the front I try to like not sweet talker but I'm like look you know I'm trying to get home like I need to be home you know Monday to take care of my like you know like my wife's got to work I've got a dog like I've got work you know I like just started a new job or something I was like look I'm like SOL like I'm really trying to get home I've been traveling since like yesterday I've been on multiple planes multiple cars I'm like this is like one of those movies that you see I'm just trying to get home so she's like look I'll I'll try to bump you up the list I'll see what I can do we're we're probably gonna have a full flight or whatever and like end up sitting with these people and like they like overheard me talking to her and they're like hey man like good luck or whatever and they were on like the next flight because like in the Dallas airport uh, you have a lot of, you know, things that are like, they use the same areas, you know, you airports, you know, you, you kind of, there's a ton of people, everyone's sitting next to each other for the flights. And I remember I was the one person that got on from standby. And when I got up, the, all the people around me like clapped. It was like really awkward. <laughs> so I was just like, I just kept getting embarrassed like all day long by like, you know, like I was just like kind of embarrassed, you know, like sheepishly about that. And then like being recognized by a random person. I don't know if this is funny, but the whole thing to me, when I eventually got home and looked back on it, I was like, that was like the weirdest 24 hours. Ever. <laughs> yeah. I took like a nap at a hotel, you know, I slept for like five hours. Cause like, what else am I doing? You know, we get to the hotel at like one or two in the morning. I need to get up at like six or whatever. So I was just like, I guess I'll get a room, you know, like I'll pay $120 and take a five hour nap or whatever and stuff. Yeah. It was just, it was just so nuts. And like, I look back on it and I was like, it was not worth it. Like when I like, go to these bits, I'm like, this is just like, so like nowadays, if I'm ever going to do anything remotely, like crazy for travel, I just don't do it. I just yeah. stay home now. And stuff so maybe that's the funny part of it is like that was like the beginning of the end maybe i've got i've got one more and it's fairly mm. recent it's i'm gonna it's remember from, something after this so i'll say it on next week's episode maybe yeah. so this is from this year the the scg con in philadelphia so we're at the the valley forge casino and i don't remember exactly if this had happened earlier that week or we had found it out that weekend but for whatever reason, uh, Stephen Green, you know, star of Commander Versus, had made the claim to Chris McCurry, who we were traveling with. Uh, if you don't know Chris, he, he works for SCG, and he's great. Uh, and Chris and Stephen have known each other since they were kids, right? Uh, and apparently Stephen made the claim that he could fight a Falcon. Like, just one-on-one, him what? against a Falcon, he would win, right? And, the American dream. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so Chris, of course, told this to us, and we laughed about it and how ridiculous it is because he would come nowhere close to beating a Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're uh, we're doing this at uh, the hotel tower, you know, that one restaurant that's in the lobby of the hotel. Uh, yeah. we're, we're sitting around the bar there after w- one night uh, just eating. And the person that Chris is seated next to turns out to be a falconer no fucking way yeah like, she she is a falconer and so and 
so we just turn and we're just like, oh shit. And, the, and so we're like, yeah, so he's ridiculous, it's right? She, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. So so we're like, yeah, and, and he's being absurd, right? He wouldn't come close. She's like, oh yeah, like you you don't even know. Like it's even worse than you think. And yeah. so we so we then got Steven on the phone and had him talk to the Falconer to try to see if she could talk some sense into him. Uh, and she could not. So <laughs> Stephen Green to this day believes that he could fight a falcon and emerge he victorious. Had evidence despite yeah, somebody, despite yeah. the expert testimony of yeah. a literal falconer, it would kill you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, it would kill you if it wa- only if it wanted to. It might be it might be a merciful falcon. <laughs> yeah, it might, it might just be like uh, I'll, I'll have pity on this large on, yeah. on, this, on this white man kind of thing. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll see if there's any fights in the future of Stephen Green's life with with a falcon, see if he can win or not. <laughs> I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. We've actually got a pretty long one. I said we try to have a little shorter one today. I've got some stuff that I need to do around the house. Uh, so we have to see y'all next week. Make sure you check out that episode. I'm assuming we're going to have more spoilers and stuff to talk about. So yeah. Also we'll my tournament report from winning an RCQ. Right, exactly. So I'll hear <laughs> how Ross did at his RCQ this weekend. And then you'll probably hear me uh, getting more agitated about all the stuff at the Pro Tour coming up, having to be in another country and stuff. So, Or another continent, which is usually... Uh, I'm just at the point where, like, like, can we just not go over there? That'd be great. But <laughs> I'm in Louisiana. It's already mostly French. Well, <laughs> like, it, isn't it, that close enough? I, it's not that I don't want to go. It's just when you're going for work, like, all I'm going to be doing in there is working, right? Like, yeah. I'm getting there. I'm going to sleep when I get there, right? I'm going to try to adjust my schedule, and then I'm working three days, and then I'm coming home. And it's like, it, it's just extra steps for me. Just think you know about I mean? how many croissants and crepes you're going to eat. I am going to eat a lot of that. So yeah. that's, we're going to have a lot of carbs that yeah. weekend. So uh, make sure you look out for that on the next episode. But until then, we'll see you all next week.